This episode is brought to you by Storyblocks. Storyblocks makes it possible for content creators like you to bring your stories to life without sacrificing your vision due to time, budget, or resources. Head to storyblocks.com slash 302010. That's storyblocks.com slash 302010. And let them help tell your story. Who's the bosses fired? Ardman return to their roots and Jason goes to X. This week on 302010. Hello, everyone, and welcome to 302010, the Laser Time Network's weekly pop culture time machine, helping you celebrate the greatest anniversaries in all of pop culture. What came out 30, 20, and 10 years ago? We're going to tell you starting from this week, April 22nd through the 28th. I'm doing math now. Hi, everybody. I'm one of your hosts, Chris Antista. Who else is with me? I'm Diana Goodman, and the best thing about being a pirate is Ham Night. And I'm J.R. Rawls, and the Admiral always said I was wasting my life practicing on the guitar, but now look at me. I drive <laughs> right. a bus. I know exactly what that is. Oh, there's some special episodes and television to talk about on this week's 302010. Hi, how is everybody? Got to thank right off the bat our patrons at patreon.com slash laser time. Throw us five bucks and we'll throw you some extra shows. We appreciate your support through all uh, our endeavors. Thank you so much. We are currently in the seventh season of 302010. 30 years ago, 1992. A little bit of news. Marion Barry, <laughs> uh, the former mayor of Washington, D.C., is let out of prison. Pretty much the most famous crack smoker of all time, right? Yeah. Ma- ma- uh, bitch set him up. Maybe, with the exception, if you're Canadian, Rob Ford, man, that guy was great. Uh, if, if Chris Farley was an elected official, and and but uh, Marion Barry, and I, I, this is all I think of whenever I hear his name is the Chris Rock bit because this is how I got my news back in the day. I didn't know who Marion Barry was. How the hell Marion Barry get his job back? Smoke crack got his job back. How the hell that happened? I, I mean, if you get caught smoking crack at McDonald's, you can't get your job back. <laughs> Oh my god, bring the pain. That's a great special. Not out this week, though. What is out this week in the news, McDonald's opens its first restaurant in China. How exciting. So so this was open in Shenzhen, because Shenzhen uh, was the Chinese city that had the most contact with Hong Kong and Western food at the time. Uh, China was still very much closed in. And now there's about three, 4,000 McDonald's restaurants in China. Wow. Wow. Uh, I hate how much I like McDonald's because I hate McDonald's on principle, but their food is delicious and cheap. And if you travel wow. abroad, I can... It's one of those. It's... <laughs> I think it's delicious. And when you tra... But when you travel abroad, McDonald's, they have different stuff. And I don't know what they have in China, but man, I had like a burger made of like fried cheese in Japan. It was delicious. But another just example of how China has changed ridiculously much in the last 30 years is that when the mcdonald's opened in china going to it was considered a high class event it was like really a special treat to like go to chinese mcdonald's and now it's just like yeah it's just some crappy place you go to in a hurry yeah it's something you have a coupon for free coffee for and then finally in the news this week david bowie and amon mary and they remain married, I believe. Yeah, they did. <laughs> on the way to his death. And it was one of those things where it's like so, so long because David Bowie's so gender bendy. And he was like, he's bi, but he's like not talking about it. And there's the rumors about, you know, him and Mick Jagger and, and all this stuff. And to find out like, oh, no, he's going to marry one of the most gorgeous women to ever <laughs> exist. 
Yes. And I, God, I, Chris Rock made me think of this when uh, Jerry Seinfeld first or second hosted SNL. They were promoting it on the 40th anniversary special and they started out by not saying anything awkwardly to one another. And Jerry just goes to David Bowie. So Chris Rock tells me you have a black wife. And <laughs> it's like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. But congratulations, David Bowie and Amon. We still miss you. Anyway, moving to the movies of 1992, uh, Basic Instinct is still number one at the box office. Wow. It's come back. Yeah. I just There hasn't been anything big to come out in the last couple weeks. Yeah, a lot of little movies. Yeah, this whole episode is should just be called I've never heard of this. <laughs> <laughs> movie but wise. Some of them movie wise, I've never heard of this, but some of them are real treats. Yeah, so, last week different. I didn't think anything could top last week's my delight at deep cover again mm-hmm. thorough but one of these did i'm glad i checked it out but uh first movie you got to talk about highway 61 with uh, don mckellar valerie oh jesus bugier uh earl <laughs> earl patsco peter beck stephen fall tav falco and jello biafra and art bergman i only recognize jello biafra's name in this yeah uh, highway because, 61 uh because it's a tiny canadian indie and it's sort of a follow-up to roadkill which is a little better known. But not um, by us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, tiny Canadian indies. Let's go with that. And it's, got uh, a- it's a road trip movie where the devil buying souls is a subplot. That is not the main theme of the movie. That's just, oh, yeah, that's a quirky little thing that happens. Yeah. Yeah, the devil could sway the story too much. But we have, it does have a slam on Florida, apparently. I'll bet you can't tell me what we named her. Can't get. Louise. Louisiana. She came into our life like a little ray of sunshine. So we named her after Louisiana, the Sunshine State. Isn't Florida the Sunshine State? You can't call a child Florida. What kind of parent would do a thing like that, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever met anyone called Florida? No, but... Just the mom on good times. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) I, I think, yeah, maybe really old black or Italian ladies, because I think I had a relative that went by florida but they all man when they all died we like got to see their birth certificates like none of these are their fucking names all these all these old people <laughs> changed their names so i i'm not sure i don't know if i've legitimately met a real person named florida not in florida that'd be a pretty silly thing to do what i don't know if i've met anyone named louisiana either yeah I, we call her louise mm. anyway so what's the fucking next movie up uh miles o'shea robin wright aiden quinn and albert finney in the playboys uh, now I get to get on my high horse and complain about lost movies. Ooh. This is just not fucking available in the U.S. And I don't know why. I didn't hit my VPN to see, like, is it available in Ireland where it's from? Because it's one of those, like, small rural British Isles movies about everyone's personal business getting all tied up. And it's adorable. Well, Robin Wright is a single mom in rural Ireland. She won't say who the father is. It's a big scandal in their little village. And like different guys keep coming to her and being like, um, I can make your baby legit. How about you marry me? And she's like, nope. And then Aiden Quinn and a bunch of the titular playboys who are not like playboys in the playboy bunny sense, but playboys in that they're actors. They travel around to small villages putting on plays, which are often movies that they're just not going to be able to get out here. So like they all go watch Gone with the Wind. And now they have to go perform Gone with the Wind, which is a four hour movie. (laughs) And uh, it's fun and adorable. And everyone, they talk about films a lot. Films. Yeah. It's like, oh, but I haven't seen the film. How am I going to know my part? It's (laughs) so fun. And I can't fucking find it now. And this makes me mad. Yeah. I I was 
sort of coming into that this season of 30 2010 because a lot of uh, indies hit around this time in 1992 and a surprising amount of these movie companies are defunct out of business and in america's case usually your library will get acquired or swallowed up but that Mm -hmm. sometimes doesn't happen and films disappear and all we have is criterion to help us get it back (laughs) and uh, maybe we'll send them a letter about the playboys yeah yeah it's 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 very charming in a sort of waking the divine kind of way and i don't know i think milo o'shea's in that too anyway and, yeah, and, Playboys. And, what the hell? Ask for it by name. And my my treat for this week, uh, there was so many movies to watch. I had to be selective, and I saw this movie: John C. McGinley, Frank Whaley, Air Rock Gross, uh, Kevin Dillon, Peter Berg, Gary Sinise, and Ethan Hawke in a Midnight Clear. I saw that this is directed by Keith Gordon, directed and adapted by Keith Gordon, who directed and adapted one of my my favorite Kurt Vonnegut adaptation, Mother Night. So I'm like, oh, I'll give this a shot, and it was a fucking delight. A Midnight mm. Clear, a very, very weird World War II movie where it's it's mildly discussed like it's not it's the end of nineteen forty-four. Like, are we we're all stuck out here? Are we still doing this? Is it <laughs> is this still is this still going on? And I I'm I'm gonna try and surmise the plot a, a little bit in the be- best way I can. I don't know why it's important, but the army put a battalion together of the people who tested the smartest on the aptitude test, and you know, half of them got killed anyway, and that's where we meet. This ragtag group of people. Gary Sinise's first role begins the movie by uh, having a nervous breakdown and kind of going insane. And the this this group of smarties are tasked with holing up in an abandoned mansion uh, and seeing if there's an assault on the Nazis coming to the bigger group and then alert them. Kind of like this bullshit mission. And... Mm. All of a sudden, yeah. well, it's the Battle of the Bulge. Everyone's stuck out in the woods and it's freezing. Yeah, and and all of a sudden at night they just hear the voices of Nazis taunting them, not shooting them, but kind of having fun at their. Exp- Do I want to? Can we spoil this stuff? Because this shit is crazy. Did you see it? <laughs> yeah. Did, yeah, I thought this was nuts. And and yeah, I saw this a while ago. And I mean, be- I think because of it's about Battle of the Bulge, it makes me think of the episode of Band of Brothers about Bastogne mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it is just like, yeah, we're freezing. We're stuck out here. We know there's Nazis over there somewhere, mm-hmm. but like they're miserable too. Do we? Yeah. Do we want to keep doing this is, is a good way of putting it. <laughs> yeah. Because it, it turns out like the, the Nazis kind of want to talk. I and mean, whenever they're called the Nazis, like, we're not Nazis. I'm in the German army. I have no choice. I have to be here. I'm not mm-hmm. a Nazi. That they were trying to, like, guys, are we almost done with this? Can we surrender? And they manufacture a way to have the not the small battalion of Nazis surrender to the small battalion of Americans, and then they'll pin it on their friend who had the nervous breakdown so they can get him home. Mm-hmm. And... Then it all goes awry. <laughs> then it all goes awry. It's just a a weird non combat war movie. That's that's absolutely. I thought it was beautiful, even though it's like clearly Utah. <laughs> I mean, not clearly Utah. Just like if you've seen like Band of Brothers, like that is not Europe. That is not Europe at all. But it, yeah, uh, yeah I thought this was great. I thought this was a great uh, war film and not a rah rah go us kind of thing. Just like this tiny tragedy on the battlefield. I didn't see it, but one of the things I did research about it and I really enjoyed is how it's mainly young guys. Yeah. A lot of times you see these World War II movies with 
John Wayne in his 50s. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there were exceptions and there were guys like that occasionally. But for the most part, your average U.S. soldier fighting was 18 to 24. Mm-hmm. You know, a fairly young kid, not a lot of experience in the world, either freshly graduated high school or very rarely college. And then boom, in a war. It's it's the, so, it's the second World War II movie I've seen the German soldiers come in a row that like, they're dying so swiftly, they're replacing them with, like, fresh-faced 17-year-old. In Das Boot, they're like, wait for them to grow beards. They look way too young. We don't want photographs <laughs> of this. Uh, and same comment is made here. But just, yeah, a fucking super competent, compelling film with haunting imagery. And Jesus Christ, I've never I've never heard of this. Yeah. Uh, and it's got such a cast of up-and-comers, yeah. too. I mean, yeah. some of these guys are known. Frank Whaley, John C. McGinley have sort of been around. Ethan Hawke's sort of been around. But, yeah, Peter Berg, Ari Gross. Kevin Dillon. Ari, like, Ari Gross is uh, this is like the biggest role I've ever seen him in. He's like yeah. one of the main. This it's a ultimate. Hey, it's that guy. He's in a billion different things, yeah. and and he's got a huge role in this, and he's great. I thoroughly recommend him in Night Clear. And then up next we have uh, Timothy Benedict, Shane R- Shane Rimmer, a porn star, uh, Nick Brimble, Ian Richardson, uh, Lewis Jordan, Penelope Ann Miller, and Tim Daly in Year of the Comet. Oh boy, this is one where it's like the making of is so much more interesting yeah. than the movie like they're trying to go for a sort of screwball adventure movie it's written by william goldman who is absolutely killing it recently princess bride and misery his last two credits Damn. He, had, he had this script sitting around since like 1978 or something and he kept saying like come on try and so castle rock was like well yeah we've just had two slam dunks with them like let's do this and it's about like this you know fun loving girl and this wacky guy and they get this big bottle of wine that's that's the MacGuffin is this bottle from like 1888 the year of the comet and then like oh no Louis Jordan is trying to take it from them and then they go adventuring through the moors and run around over here and run around over there and they're trying <laughs> I thought this movie could have been greatly improved if they would have set it in the 1930s or 40s yeah you know just yeah. add that little element of weirdness you can kind of suspend your disbelief a little bit more uh, it's this bottle of wine and it's more of that screwball comedy feel if it would have been a period and I just I don't think of Tim Daly as an action guy it, it no. just doesn't really work for me no uh, they're, they're trying <laughs> They're trying to make him a leading man. I feel bad for him, like, interviews since then about, like, yeah, they tried. I guess I'm not a leading man. Oh, shucks. (laughs) So I went into this thinking it was a completely different movie. Mm -hmm. I thought it was Night of the Comet. Oh, Oh, yeah. That's a a great movie. (laughs) But I, I kept waiting for things to get very weird you know i thought it was going to be sci-fi and then the first 10 minutes are this delightfully reserved british drama about wine tasting (laughs) so i thought okay and then at 11 minutes in there's a torture scene and i was like okay maybe it is the right film but no no completely different you won't get any sci-fi 10 years until 10 years from now and by that i mean the next segment here the comet um and yeah big man and then we have, I couldn't find this anywhere, uh, Jack Warden, Nancy Travis, Maureen Stapleton, Peter Riegert, Pamela Reed, William Peterson, Francis McDormand, Tim Curry, Blair Brown, and Bob Hoskins in Passed Away. Hollywood Pictures presents Surprise! Passed Away. Jack Scanlon has gone to a better place. Dad? Unfortunately, the rest of the Scanlons are still here. You wouldn't mind sleeping in Frank's old bedroom, would you, boy? Oh, I'll sleep anywhere. <laughs> we all know that. 
But now that Jack's passed away... Looks like Liberace. ...his family has some questions to answer. If he shot the sheriff but didn't shoot the deputy, who did? Passed away, rated PG-13. <laughs> they just had so to work in that line. I, they, they were, like, legally obligated to force that in with a <laughs> steam shovel. Mm. <laughs> passed away, a funeral comedy with a, yeah. an amazing cast. Yeah, it's got a great cast. And I don't know, I was hoping for something darker, mm-hmm. you know, a little more death at a funeral kind of thing. Yeah. Because it's this close to being that. Yeah. But the, it the like, tries to get some heart in there, too, about like, oh, this wacky family and all their different problems. And uh, I gave up. I'll, I'll be honest. I, I turned it off. Hey, hey, we do that sometimes. Don't tell don't tell the other listeners. It's just between you, you and it, me. Man. Look, comedy when it's not quite clicking. It's, it's, it's it, it can make the job <laughs> terrible. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, God, this isn't even bad enough to be good. It's just... It's just, it's fluffy for 30 years ago. Is there a single comedy that is bad enough it's good? Hmm. Um, I don't know. You're right. I, I think my tolerance for that, even though I do watch a lot of Happy Madison films, even, <laughs> to, yeah, I don't know that that, because like when we had to try and watch Corky Romano, that was fucking, oh, that was torture, <laughs> torture. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think, uh, yeah, I'm not sure it works that way. Yeah. No. I, I mean, there are bad jokes that I have laughed at for how fucking bad they are, but that's like but one. It and mostly it's an exasperated laugh. Like, what were you thinking, you assholes? Yeah, bad comedy. Yeah. Maybe that oh, that thing that's kind of only enjoyed painful. in groups doesn't really work in solo yeah. outings, even though we do have to do it. But not in the next anyway. movie, which the hugest movie of the week, which is also one I've never heard of. <laughs> Mimi Rogers, Beth Grant, Maura Tierney, James Reborn, M. Emmett Walsh, Samuel L. Jackson, Mickey Rourke, Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio, and Willem Dafoe. White Sands. From the director of No Way Out. Trust or betrayal. This is about creating enemies when there aren't any. Passion or deception. Either way, I should just trust you. Yeah. (laughs) Corruption or conspiracy. Give a half million bucks to a man you don't even know? The answers are hidden. In White Sands. Start, <laughs> Star Friday. White Sands. Yeah. I feel like we have this movie four times this episode. <laughs> we have so many dirty double-crossing thrillers where someone's going to get a briefcase full of money and then it's going to turn out that someone else is mad at them and they might end up in a desert or something. Uh, yeah, I bailed on this but, one too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, the the slow building of Samuel L. Jackson into a star. Yeah. That's, th- th- this, th- that's one thing to look at here. Yeah, this does seem to have, like, the most, the biggest cast of people still working uh, as younglings. So it might be worth it for that curiosity. I love younger Willem Dafoe because he always had, like, the face cracks of, a, of an 80-year-old man, even in the fucking, even in the 70s. The only thing interesting about this film for me was doing the math. So... Back in like the 40s, 50s, and even 60s, having a briefcase full of money was this unbelievable amount of wealth that would just be like insanely high. But doing the math, your average attache case, 18 by 12 by 4.5, can hold about $1 million. Okay. In missing thousands then? In $100 bills. Oh, in hundreds. Oh. Yes. Okay. Uh, so in. $1 million in 2022 money is $2 million in 1992 money. And it's more like $6 million in 1962 money. So 
as inflation has happened, that briefcase is just a lot less powerful. Don't get me wrong. I wouldn't turn down a million dollars cash, but it's not like the insane amount of money it used to no, be to have a like, briefcase full eh, of cash. Pay the tax on it and pay off my mortgage and not really left with anything in this briefcase. <laughs> <laughs> and here they're fighting over, I think, $500,000. Yeah. yeah. It's like, okay. Which is a million today. A million today. So that's pretty good. <laughs> and you got me. I, I've been meaning to Google something for 42 years. Is there such thing as a $1,000 bill? Because it might surprise you. Patreon.com slash laser time. I've never seen a $1,000 bill. There is. Mm-hmm. There is. And who's it hasn't been made in generations. Uh, once drugs started to become big, the U.S. government said, you know what? A hundred. A hundred is the highest number of bill we oh, are going to make. Really? Yep. I'm, and I can't figure out who this guy is on a thousand. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking him up. <laughs> I was like, wait, who is that on the thousand? I'm trying to see. Oh, there's a $500 bill too? Yeah, we stopped it in 1969. This is fascinating. Grover Cleveland. Grover, Grover Cleveland? Man. All right. That is a that that is a trivia bit right there. Who is on the thousand dollar bill? Yeah, you figured they would have. I never would have guessed Grover Cleveland. Yeah, they would have put in like JFK in there somewhere, or you know Ronald Reagan, of course. Uh, anyway, White Sands. So on the five hundred is William McKinley. Yes. Thousand okay. is Grover Cleveland. Five thousand is James Madison. What? Ten thousand is Salmon P. Chase, which what the heck? <laughs> I am offended, sir. The hundred thousand dollar bill is Woodrow Woody Wilson, my wow. most detested president on my own personal scale. All right. Ooh. Wait, Salmon P. Chase, he was he wasn't even a president though. No, he was wasn't. Hamilton. He was a treasury secretary. Yeah. Oh. Oh, and he was on the Supreme Court. Okay, I'll give him that one. But yeah, I mean we do tend to like founding fathers, like the first batch of presidents plus yeah. ones that have been shot so there's where mckinley comes in yeah i i mean you know uh franklin wasn't a president either so yeah. it's not required but yeah salmon peaches okay <sighs> what i i had there's always thousand dollar bill i've always meant to look this up because every time you see one in the movie you're like is that real in this day and age those are only good for nefarious they're like fucking bitcoins practically like why would you <laughs> Only can use them on the dark web and shady drug deals. I know. You, it's not like you can take one to a bank. Yes. Yeah. Do you have <laughs> change really for a 5000 No. Yeah. no. <laughs> uh, to, to be fair, the $100,000 bill was not legal tender outside of banks. It could only oh. be used for bank-to-bank transfer. You couldn't take it to your local Porsche dealership. Or get some spicy nuggets from McDonald's. God, they're back <laughs> and they're funny. delicious. Uh, but if you do have one, it's worth over $1 million dollars to collectors. Oh. Just like fucking Bitcoin. Good Lord. Yeah. Look what White Sands made us do. This is something I've been meaning to look up a long time. This is a, this is a fucking metaphor for what my brain did trying to watch White Sands. <laughs> Grasp on to anything interesting at all. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a competent film. It's just like non-exceptional. And uh, yeah. this is kind of a week for that. But then we move on to television, which a great episode of The Simpsons, kind of going back and rewatching them in, in a row, kind of like, oh, The Simpsons can do any number of things with their side characters, make entire episodes in fiction out of their side characters the way most shows can't because you'd have to pay a living human being to play a different character. But since uh, Dan Castellaneta plays like, I think, 30 characters alone on The Simpsons, <laughs> You can do uh, so much stuff on The Simpsons, such in the Auto Show, where Auto, the bus driver, gets fired for not having a license and not wearing his own underwear. <laughs> oh, it's a miracle no one was hurt. Oh, I stand on my record. 
15 crashes and not a single fatality. Let's see your license, pal. No can do. Never got one. But if you need proof of my identity, I wrote my name in my underwear. But wait, these aren't mine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Otto is such a delight in this episode. Yeah. Uh, I Smudge. never would have thought he could carry an entire episode. Right. He was always this bit character. A one-note joke. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But he made it work. The Simpsons made it work. And they didn't do it again for eight more seasons or something like that. Yeah. I think they said everything about Otto they had to say in this episode. He ma- well, he makes a joke about how pathetic he is like once every two episodes. And they just sort of combined all that to actually seeing where he lived and how he lived. But it became like kind of a formula for The Simpsons. Take any of these characters who have one line in an episode and let's maybe give them an entire episode about them. And I, I think on Talking Simpsons, we were talking about like Otto is one note because like that 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 accent that impression is of like a caricature that no longer exists i'm a rocking dude i think it was dying in 1992 yeah like when it first got started it was like showing you this is a guy a little behind the times and in 1992 it was like okay he's really falling behind but like he's in disco stew territory right now (laughs) yeah he yeah he's in the metal he sounds like I guess the way you'd impersonate like an old Grateful Dead fan. Like, hey, yeah. man, how you do? <laughs> they do have an episode where pot is legalized in Springfield. Yes. And he's very disappointed in pot being That's legal. Flagrant false advertising. <laughs> There's a lot of other amazing bits in this. Uh, this is the episode where with Vinyl Tap comes yeah. on. And they say something like, I don't think anyone has benefited more from the fall of communism other than us. Well, what about the people who actually lived in former communist countries? <laughs> well, yeah, but... Uh, I own a soccer team, do they? And I went to concerts for such a brief period before The Simpsons taught me to be cynical. Because this is the episode where they go, nobody rocks like, looks at guitar, Springfield (laughs) here. And I had gone to like two or three concerts where they did almost word for word like that. And this taught me that they don't care about the city. They're just whatever. And yeah, yeah, the the Simpsons definitely is responsible for about 90% of my cynicism. Yeah, and well, the Simpsons is also responsible. I guess we'll get into it. In, uh, but no, let's, we can get into it now. Me watching television at night because <laughs> Simpsons came out in 89. Uh, I wasn't that interested. I remember hating like Cheers and so, so much like, but it's like- You're full- You're about to go to bed. What do you care? We don't care what you think. We have one TV in this house and we'll watch- Evening Shade, God. We're gonna watch Kate and Alley, God damn it. I just was stocky. I didn't really so I didn't really like watch primetime television until The Simpsons brought me in. And I also, we had a one TV household, didn't have a lot of choice. But I also am young enough to remember this is when you start like spending the night at your friend's house, houses mm-hmm. around this age. And I remember this this night or this week or this month because it was like I'm interested in television now. What do you got? And everything died in like a week. <laughs> everything, <laughs> everything there was disappeared from television. And it started with a uh, "Who's the boss?" It um, has a back-to-back hour-long finale where we finally answer. The yeah. Question. So the big conflict here is that Tony has gotten his dream job coaching a baseball team in a small college town. I didn't actually know this or I didn't remember it, but originally the hook of the series was that Tony was a former professional baseball player who then became a housekeeper. Mm -hmm. I don't think they did much with that. 
Occasionally, they play softball or something. After many, many years, he goes back, gets his degree, and ends up far away from Angela, and they say they'll commute. And then Angela moves to be with him and finds living in a small town crazy because she's a big executive. And so what are we going to do? We both love each other. And the series ends with Angela moving back to her old house. Tony staying to be a manager of a college baseball team. But then at the last moment, he shows up to Angela's house after Angela just took a shower and she answers the door in her bathrobe with her hair wrapped up in a towel, which is how the very first episode started. And he says he wants to be her housekeeper. He wants Aww. this one. Yeah. You know, it was honestly a very sweet way to end the series. I mean, this show is kind of symbolic of the TV I hated watching. And I'm not saying it's not good. It's just like my attention span for non-cartoons was kind of non-existent. And I just, I have such vague memories of just walking by moments of this on television. And, and my cousin, my cousin who's like, 12 years older than me, quoted it all the time. Loved it. <laughs> Loved it. And then the same night, Growing Pain, the one show I did end up watching in syndication, it ends as well. I liked Growing Pain. This is another moving as a key uh, plot device. Mm-hmm. Uh, what happens is the mother gets her dream job in Washington, D.C., and the Seavers have to decide if they're all going to move there or not. Mike, the oldest, it really shouldn't be a question that he's going to move with the family at this point. It, I, I mean, really? Isn't he like 35? Like, Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but it has like two minutes of the most cringiest TV I've ever watched because he asked his current girlfriend to marry him in order that he can live at her place and that she can cook and clean for him like his mother does. Hey. And she sets him straight. That's a stupid thing. He comes to his senses and he later on asks her to marry him when he's ready, when he has grown enough to be worthy of her marriage, which is another lovely thing that I thought. And there's a lovely scene when they're sitting around talking about how much this house meant for them. And there's this one moment that to me is so true to life. It is a pitch perfect moment of what children genuinely think happen. The moment they are sent to bed and their parents stay up after they have gone to bed. I guess Chrissy must be asleep by now. What do you want to do tonight? Oh, I don't know. Want to play Barbies? I vividly remember this, thinking this was the funniest thing I'd ever seen in my life. Same, (laughs) same. And they bring out a pony, and they bring out candy, and they throw (laughs) vegetables, and it's just, and there's this girl fuming going, this is what is happening when I'm sent to bed. And it's, it's a lovely sitcom moment because it puts you in the mind of a child, and I can remember watching this thinking, yeah, I guess on some level I kind of thought something like that may have been going on when I went to sleep. And when my own kids are like desperate to stay up later, I kind of sometimes think back to this scene. Growing Pains was always a lovely, delightful 
romp, and the final moments capture the melancholy feeling of an empty house. Like, I don't know if you've ever put a lot of memories into a house, and yes. then when it's all packed up, you just look around at the emptiness and you move on. Yep. Yeah, this does really feel like the, the end of the 80s mm -hmm. in that Who's the Boss, I think, started in 84 and Growing Pains in 85. Yeah. So, yeah, they lasted most of the 80s and then into the 90s, and then that's it. Yeah, and, and just the way they're shot and the, their their tone are symbolic of the decade they're from. So it's like, mm -hmm. it is bizarre to see them even sticking around this long, but this is- and, and their sets are pretty similar. When you yeah. build a yeah. uh, television set that's hip and with it in 1985, yeah, that's, by that's... 1992, it's looking a little dated. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I, don't, I, I don't I gravitated to growing pains, I think, in syndication, or because my dad had a single Playboy and had Kirk Cameron's girlfriend in it, um, <laughs> which he, he fired because of his Christian- intolerant but growing pains even leo's going with him i saw a little you know leonardo dicaprio in that clip the star trek next generation episode the perfect mate considered one of the best episodes of tng there's no unnecessary b plot it tackles the issue for the entire episode from start to finish picard finds an empath whose entire life purpose is to be a symbol of peace and bond with a member of an alien planet uh, to represent the peaceful end of their two wars but she bonds with whoever she's with so whoever she's with she becomes their perfect mate and picard is presented with an ethical problem of is she choosing this but this is how her nature is can we force our beliefs on a different species with a different custom uh, it's incredibly well acted from start to finish patrick stewart is a powerhouse of course but the actress whose name i forgot who Fomke plays jensen Fomke jensen Oh, no way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Does a great job conveying a character who changes when she's around Worf. She's this warrioress. When she's around Picard, she's this adventuress. And when she's around Data, she's lost because she doesn't know how to be nothing. Mm. <laughs> I, I, I have not seen this episode. I've seen scattered episodes of Star Trek, but I've seen every episode of Seth MacFarlane's The Orville, which basically takes Star Trek plots to create comedy out of them. And there is a male version of this who swings both ways and there's sex involved. And now I'm, I know exactly where they got the idea of the episode from. And then video games, we're talking all Genesis this time. We got a double dragon port back when... Uh, Quick. Double, hmm? Quick comment on this. The what? Genesis was 16-bit versus the Super Nintendo's 8-bit. Double what? Dragon came out years ago, so they had tons of time to tweak it, to make it into uh, a better game because they can take use of the more power of the Genesis. They can use more sprites. Uh, they can use everything they've learned in video games. So with all of that, my question is, how do you fuck this up? <laughs> because this is horrible compared to the nes version the nes version has tight controls it's fun to play this one even though i played the nes version dozen times easy i can't get far it's jerky even the graphics somehow even look worse than the nes without even looking into it i'm gonna guess with probably 99 percent certainty it was developed by westerners and not anyone from japan because that's typically what they did if they could they'd convert a game as best they could or they would have to redevelop it from scratch Ooh. and they'd usually con they'd usually contract a shitty american like make your own fucking game here you go here you go the uk <laughs> here you go america you can use our game that and that happened the genesis yeah the genesis surprise i may have had a rule because like old games came there a lot 
completely remade. If you got the wrong team doing it to no one at Technos or whatever it is, Double Dragon. What I always said 30 years ago, if aliens asked me to pick the 10 things that represented video games, Double Dragon would have been it. It was like defined a style and genre of games back then. And now we don't, well, we barely if you remember. miss what the NES couldn't give you, but Genesis could, you do get a very clear and obvious panty shot from the girlfriend oh, yes. in this video game. <laughs> yes, I remember lining up next to the arcade. Whenever the track mode came on, my sister and I would run over to look at the panties. She does, she claims not to remember this, but we both did it. What is Ernest Evans? <laughs> Basically, they made a character whose name should be Indianapolis Whipman. <laughs> oh. uh, only they decided, what if we made our character look like and control like a rag doll because his arms just flail about at the place and he looks like he's walking for the first time ever wow. <clears throat> and then uh super off-road you know it's your typical rc racing game where you run radio controlled cars while totally tubular 80 bikini babes cheer you on yeah, yeah. i mean what? that happens at rc racing games right yeah <laughs> yeah women love dirt and uh and loud loud engines mm -hmm. they love it yeah uh, and, and cars I... that are less than a foot tall that's what mm -hmm. we're into yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the dual test drive two is out and uh, i jordan versus bird i did play i don't know why they call it jordan versus bird one-on-one -on -one, because that's always what you did in the game <laughs> that was all you could do yeah uh i'm not a sports guy mm -hmm. but i did google around who is considered the better player jordan or larry bird and it wasn't as clear-cut as i thought i just mm -hmm. assumed that it was going to be jordan all the way but there are a number of people who will make the case that larry bird was better because basketball is a team sport and if you look at the team aspects of it uh, larry bird was better in most quantifiable ways and when they actually played in championship games larry won he just beat Jordan in those games because what, what I, it was a team sport. I don't know sports at all. And Larry Bird was almost done by the time I even like saw basketball on television. But I did see a highlight clip of him one time. And Jordan is, I think, majestic in what he does. Larry Bird looks like a fucking mess at a thousand miles per hour. His hair's going everywhere. <laughs> nothing he does is sexy. There's nothing like a Michael Dunk. He doesn't have that, but it's frantic and like, holy shit, what is, what's going on? It looks like somebody going crazy and because <laughs> it's mm -hmm. not sexy or glamorous at all. And, uh, I did play this game and I do mm -hmm. want to say once again, the controls are super clunky. I don't know what voodoo magic Nintendo did in the 80s and early 90s to insist on good controls. They most would of literally reject bad games and you had to get a seal of quality. And if you didn't, you wouldn't be published on the system. And, and that worked because I got to say, I'm playing all these Genesis games I've never played. And I'm just like, getting you to go right should not be this difficult, Indianapolis with man. And this, is, this is also a port of a, I guess that was a franchise, but like, I've always speculated, I, th I think, well, Michael Jordan, I think for Nike was cheaper to license and like, we have the Michael Jordan official shoe, not the NBA official shoe. That should be bigger. Jordan's bigger than the NBA. So somebody couldn't afford the entire NBA license. So they just licensed these two guys. So you don't, you don't have any jerseys you'll recognize. They don't play for a team you've ever heard of. Uh, it's just Jordan and Burt. And it was a 
popular series of McDonald's commercials too, bringing it back around to make me hungry. Now, to books of 1992 on ba- uh, Basilisk Station <laughs> is out this week. Honor Harrington the- number one. The- JR, you just say it. I- <laughs> on Basilisk Station, the first Honor Harrington book by David Weber. Uh, this is the start of a series that was absolutely crucial to the rebirth of military sci-fi. Honor Harrington is a hyper-competent character not in any way of Mary Sue, no more than James Kirk or James Bond is, but she runs a series of battles in basically the Space Napoleonic Wars. There are 14 books in her main series, but there's about 25 to 35 spin-off books Whoa. based on her series alone. All right. And it's a woman? <gasps> Gasp. What? I mean, I love it. Sounds like the title of a Star Trek episode. And then, lastly, music of 1992. We got some new releases to talk about, such as Nonesuch <laughs> by Ecstasy, Double Eclipse by Hardline, Matters of the Heart by Tracy Chapman, Tactical Neural Implant by Frontline Assembly, uh, Arkansas's Traveler, Arkansas Traveler by uh, Michelle Schacht, Tongues and, in Tongues and Tales, the debut of Sophie B. Hawkins. But what's number one this week is... God damn it! This is the soundtrack to me, like... Waking up to pop culture, crisscrosses jump. The Mac Dad will make you. I. It was. It was a perfect song for ki- getting kids into hip hop. I think this is widely responsible for my generation getting into hip hop. I mean, if you're at a place where you want kids to dance, this is the go-to song because all they have to do is jump up and down, and they're doing the dance. He's doing the dance. It's nothing to learn. Just right when they say jump, do it. It's like a fucking preschool segment. <laughs> But we'll close out with jump. Soy Dora. (laughs) Jump. (laughs) Jump. Close out with jump and stick around because Jason is back from hell. Are you a content creator like the good folks here at 302010? If so, I don't need to tell you how time-consuming it can be to go searching for that perfect video clip, image, sound, or piece of music to put the finishing touches on your latest project. How nice would it be to have a huge library of royalty-free content at your fingertips? Well, I have good news. Storyblocks is here to help creators like you bring all your stories to life without sacrificing your vision due to time, budget, or resources. Storyblocks gives you access to a huge, demand-driven library of 4K and HD footage, After Effects and Premiere Pro templates, music, images, sound effects, and more to give you everything you need to bring your stories to life. Assets are royalty-free, so you can use your downloaded content anywhere for commercial and personal use. Their unlimited all-access plan includes over 1 million assets in their library, including things like the background music you're hearing in this very ad. Whether you're a seasoned content creator or someone just dabbling with your first YouTube or Twitch channel, Storyblocks offers a selection of flexible subscriptions that fit every budget and scale to give you all the content and tools you need to focus on what's most important, creating. So what are you waiting for? Get started today at storyblocks.com slash 302010. Once again, that's storyblocks.com slash 302010. Let's forget about the toe-tied lightning that's undressed just like cross-eyed strangers. 
Coming to 2002 with I Am Trying to Break Your Heart by Wilco off of Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, which is uh, on Rolling Stone's top 500 albums of all time list, and it was supposed to be released on 9-11, but the label held on to it, and they, what? And they streamed it through their site uh, for the last year, so you just get it free? Yeah. Neat. Which is pretty weird. Oh, you can stream a whole album through the internet? I know, I know but 20 years before, it would have been seventeen ninety nine or some shit. And you have to put it in your compact disc player. We weren't, we weren't fucking around with... with I've, no, I was a Napster boy in 2002. Mm-hmm. New releases this week also include When I Was Cruel by Elvis Costello, uh, Power of the Dragon Flame by Rhapsody, Only a Woman Like You by Michael Bolton, uh, No Shoes, No Shirt, No Problem by Kenny Chesney, Long Way Home by Dokken, CeeLo Green and His Perfect Imperfections, uh, CeeLo's debut album, Foolish by Ashanti, is number one. Welcome to 2002, April 22nd to the 28th, 2002 News. Uh, Pope John Paul II meets with the U.S. Catholic Church leaders of the Vatican regarding sexual abuse of minors. So in any scandal, one of the most important questions people ask is, who knew what and when did they know it? After 20 years of research and the release of a bunch of archives, the conclusive evidence points to everyone knew everything at all times and no one did anything about it. Yeah, Yeah, and still may not. Possibly more tragic news, uh, Lisa Lefty Lopez is killed in a car accident at 30. Yep, only 30. Left Eye from TLC Mm -hmm. was in Honduras and... She had been in a car accident two weeks before that had killed a 10-year-old. What? That's what I, yeah. I did not know about. And was obviously really, really upset and disturbed by it. He paid his medical expenses, paid for his funeral, uh, and felt kind of haunted, not surprisingly. And then, yeah, got into another car accident two weeks later. She on was... these, you know, crappy roads in Honduras and car rolled and... She and a bunch of other people flew out of it, and uh, yeah, she died almost immediately. Uh, well, I forgot she was she was the bad girl of TLC, the naughty one. And yeah. if you remember, in like both in character and out of character. Well, and, yeah, there was the whole uh, burning her boyfriend's house down thing. Yeah, because I don't, I can't even remember. I can't name another member of TLC because they never got in trouble. <laughs> but Lisa Lefty Lopez did. Yeah, and, and it sounds like she was artistically speaking probably the most interesting. Mm-hmm. Personally, like she designed their outfits as ridiculous as they sometimes would be, but they got fucking attention. And she was, you know, working on collaborating with this guy and that guy, and you know, had come out with uh, one or two solo albums. And yeah, like yeah, out of all the members of TLC, she was definitely the one that was front and center. And it's just like it's only fucking thirty. Yeah, and I think even more bizarre. We don't have camera phones, but this is this was caught on camera. Mm-hmm. I. I just looked it up. I'm not sure, but like, uh, yeah, there's video of this inside the car when it happens. It cuts off right when the car is veering off, but like the final moment is on camera, I believe. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't find anything about that. I know there's a documentary specifically about the last days of of Left Eye. Such such a bummer because you can always replace someone in the group, but not when your names are the initials. Yeah. (laughs) And I guess maybe you just, you don't have a lot of choices. You got to get an L word in there. But uh, R.I.P. Lisa Lefty Lopez. Moving into movies of 2002, April 22nd to the 28th, The Scorpion King is still number one at the box office, and we have Dogtown and Z-Boys. Is this the documentary? 
This is a documentary. This is fantastic. There's a much yeah. worse narrative film version of this, but this is awesome. Yeah, Dogtown and Z-Boys is about early skateboarding mm-hmm. in Santa Monica in like the late 70s. And the whole scene that developed there that ends up, you know, spreading around the world. And it's just crazy that, like, they were filming themselves back then. Yep. I mean, they're just so rare to have cameras back then. I mean, I don't think it's a coincidence that, you know, that close to Hollywood, that close to the entertainment capital of America, that's where it got filmed for the first time. That's why I think this sport kind of couldn't have started anywhere else. Because the things they developed to... Skating for fun was all those all those Los Angeles culverts and just uh, vacant. What do you call them? Abandoned pools. Yeah, well, that's one of the things in the late seventies. There was a really really bad drought in California, and a lot of people emptied their pools because they didn't want to maintain them and keep adding water to them. And so, empty ass pools (laughs) ends up being (laughs) the original skate park. Yeah, and I mean, if you look at skate parks now, you can totally see it as well. This is a waterless pool. It still is that. Uh, even your vert stuff, and uh, this documentary is fantastic. And you put and you put all and it's most of the guys have a positive story. Ended up becoming you know entrepreneur millionaires based on making skate stuff because nobody was doing it. Yeah, and I mean they're all kids. There's a lot a lot more women involved. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't quite so like girls back then. <laughs> like it is so low key compared to what we think of as skating now. You know, no one's doing like seven twenties. But it's still like it is really interesting to see how how something so simple could develop so quickly. Yeah, I think they were. Is that the movie where they show like here's what skateboarding was like before this time, and just like we figured out how to do a handstand on a skateboard because <laughs> no one was really like kick flipping or yeah. going up inclines. It was just something you rolled on flat ground with, and the, the tricks were so lame. The socks were so high. Do, do they cover the crucial invention of it in Hill Valley? <laughs> <laughs> I love that that movie has just become real canon in my life. <laughs> Marvin Berry, the creator of rock and roll. Also out this week, huge cast. Danny Trejo, Meatloaf, Shirley Knight, Shalom Harlow, uh, Arlie Ermey, B.D. Wong, Chandra West, Deborah Cara Unger, Glenn Plummer, Anthony LaPaglia, LaPaglia, uh, Louis Guzman, Adam Goldberg, Peter Sarsgaard, Doug Hutchinson, Vincent D'Onofrio, and Val Kilmer in the Sultan Sea. Gigantic cast, and it's, I was watching chunks of it and being like, I feel like I'm watching White Sands again. What the fuck? Yeah, it's it's it's, co- <laughs> it's covering a super obscure drugs, amphet uh, <laughs> mimes. Why why do people have a problem with mimes? What's wrong with <laughs> mimes on Fet Life? I assume that's what's going on, right? It's it is one of the first films I remember putting methamphetamine like meth front and center and and that, that's sort of what it was notable for but just kind of a gross kind of yeah, like depressing thriller that's not yeah. very thrilling yeah it's sort of like they're doing kind of a pulp fiction but also kind of a fight club where val kilmer is you know an undercover cop and he leads this dual life and vincent sinofrio is this drug kingpin who's done snorted so much meth that his nose has fallen off and everyone with the double cross and in the pulling guns and the briefcase full of money and, you know fine like i've i've seen people as people kind of go back and reevaluate val kilmer's career mm-hmm. as it seems to be over because of his health issues uh, some people pointed this one out as like he's actually doing a good job here and some people were like this is what i didn't want from val kilmer like is this just kind of a bad heat knockoff stop it val and I feel like the theme for this episode is really amazing cast. <laughs> Meh. 
And we, had, we had to make a movie every week, so what are you going to do? Oh, it's going to be great. Yeah. And uh, I do recommend that Val Kilmer documentary, because it just it also reevaluates Val Kilmer's reputation. Like, uh, mm. he's difficult. And like, I took this shit seriously. What do you want from me? <laughs> I, I tried to do my best. Fuck you. Of course, he doesn't say that, because he can't say much anymore. <laughs> and then next the next film, we got uh, another huge cast. Gregory Itzen, Lisa Thornhill, Melissa Arico, James Gammon, Tony Shalhoub, Christian Kane, Stalker Channing, Edward Burns and Angelina Jolie in life or something like it. Thing was going according to plan. Great man. Great friends. Thank you. Until a prediction. Tomorrow is going to hail and next Thursday you're going to die. I'm sorry. Started to come true. I'm trying to be something that I'm not. Maybe if you change the path you're currently on, the outcome is going to be different. Now they will have one chance to change her destiny. Life or something like it. I have rarely hated a title this much. This, mm-hmm. <laughs> this is so awful. This is yeah. This is your this is your cousin's self published album title. Like uh, gross. Why all right. Let album? let's say some creepy stranger predicts the weather and that you're going to die, and he gets the weather right on a scale of one to ten. How seriously are you going to take that prediction? Hmm. Mm-hmm. Depends on the stranger. Do they creepy is, stranger? Creepy is it stranger. Tony Shalhoub? <laughs> sure. If Tony Shalhoub walks up to my door and says, "Excuse me, but here's an unlikely weather event that's going to happen, and then after that, you're going to die." Okay, but in the film, he's not Tony Shalhoub. He's just <laughs> someone who happens to look like Tony Shalhoub. <laughs> I I might just stay home that day and maybe not use sharp objects. Yeah, stay home, watch the monk. Yeah, exactly. This feels like a fucking parody yeah. from 30 Rock or something. All right, Angelina Jolie's career, like I appreciate she's doing all these diverse things, but this doesn't seem like a movie that she'd want to do. Yeah, it's a standard ass rom com with a little bit of magical realism twist. But yeah, you know, she's she's an up and coming TV reporter who's like dating a baseball star and things are going well, but oh wow, I wonder if her cameraman Edward Burns has loved her the whole time and he's right there in front of you the whole I've been right here in front time. of you the whole time. You're just not looking in my direction. <laughs> <laughs> and then oh this shake up of thinking she's might die ends up uh, like living her authentic life now. Ugh, I hate this so much. I don't I hate it. I hate it. Uh life... I hate it. You know what would fix it though? What? If like nanobots gave her like a super exoskeleton and also she's in space and has a machete oh shit yes the best <laughs> the greatest movie of the week perhaps all uh, movies should end that way jeff Geddes, alexa dweeg and of course headlining kane hotter jason ah. x coming soon he is an unstoppable killing machine what the hell is going on jason Voorhees. guys it's okay he just wanted his machete back uh-oh. He's been modified. Come on, you think? You guys might want to run. <laughs> Jason X. I don't think he's out there. Why don't you stick your head out and have a peek? Oh, Jason X. What a... It's it's become Batman and Robin a bit. It is... It, <laughs> yeah. This, this very much was the end of the story the end of uh friday the 13th tale of the Voorheeses started in 1980s 10th what? 
It's <laughs> it's the 10th movie. And there's been more movies. There's been there more uh, Friday 13th content, but it's been rebooted. But this is as far as the storyline to this universe goes. It well, is. Well, it goes to the 25th yeah. century. How much <laughs> further do you want it to go? A lot can happen in between. And well, I just don't like. Uh, this is. And so now when I. I, I I'd watch this for Elm Street Nightmare, which you can get on patreon.com slash laser time. Get an episode about every Friday the 13th movie. This is ridiculous. And like, <laughs> it's like the, it's hard to call. It, the worst Friday the 13th movie is eight still, in my opinion. But they're not like they're great movies. But this is bad no. in a different way. <laughs> yeah. And the, the cinematography, the lighting, even the acting is better in this film than in many of the other yeah. Friday the 13th films. Um, but it's this sucks. had a much higher budget. <laughs> it's different, okay? It all yeah. depends on what you want from your Friday the 13th film. I thought the concept of, hey, we've discovered the spu- supernatural is real, so we're going to experiment on this guy to figure out what the fuck is going on here. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's an interesting concept. You could do a whole hell of a lot with that concept but then he's freezed and he's sent into the future and like four centuries you say how far can you take the story he went to hell in the previous movie yeah (laughs) so now where else is there to go but the great yeah uh, said that same thing of just like what do we have left to do fuck it we'll take him to space where he uh meets a robo sexual now do you think jason is gonna punish robot sex the way he punishes premarital sex. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But there but there's certain there's also certain boxes that get checked that like if you like the Friday the 13th movies like this does do a lot of that. It's just There's some super cool kills. Jason freezing a person and then shattering yeah. the corpsicle. That's a great kill for no, the, this the, series. The sleeping he goes into a holographic sequence where you get a little bit of Camp Crystal Lake action. He kills that woman in her sleeping bag. That that shit is heinous. It's awesome. <laughs> he puts her in a sleeping bag and bangs her up against a tree to death. It is great. And, and they are absolutely winking at the audience. You know, the way they try to distract Jason is with a hologram of hot teenagers at a lake going, oh boy, I sure love premarital sex. It's <laughs> it's eye winky and eye rolly at the same time, mm. but Wait, nothing nothing is worse than he's rebuilt as a cyborg and his suit looks fucking absurd. Part of the scariness of Jason is his disheveled normal appearance. Like it, <laughs> he's a bas- seven foot backwoods dude with a mask on, and now he looks like a futuristic hockey player. It's fucking. <laughs> it, this is so silly. I'm trying to figure... He, he looks like a Lord Zed from Power Rangers. <laughs> uh, so as many of our listeners may know, the Friday the 13th game mm-hmm. underwent a lawsuit and it had to stop making more content. No, it's it's a lawsuit based entirely on Jason and this, the entire oh. franchise. Right. And, and they, right. But yeah. But before that lawsuit, they were planning the next expansion was going to be Jason Goes to Space. Mm-hmm. And I would have loved to have seen that map. I would have loved to play it's, that in It's game. potentially something that could happen, maybe not with the original development team. I, I, we go over it more in the podcast. The, the Jason Law, the Friday 13th uh, franchise lawsuit is fascinating because it has something to do with after 35 years, there's a law where the original work 
reverts to the screenwriter. So the guy who wrote the screenplay and didn't do a whole lot else with the franchise might, I think he won the lawsuit, but it's going to be appealed endlessly. And because this lawsuit has been going on for a while, Jason has changed hands between studios. Mm -hmm. Uh, The franchise got stalled, but like it is one of the most vibrant scenes of fan films like very yeah. very good ones and it's it's awesome to see people still like young people still give a fuck about jason they that do amazes me because he hasn't mm-hmm. had a movie a professional movie in 10 years yeah 11, I, I, I just think what yeah. what i think the 2009 remake is the last one mm-hmm. yes yeah, so and between freddie versus yeah jason. <laughs> and yeah freddie versus jason which they should have been made in the 90s and and wasn't that's such a bummer but then yeah that's the follow-up to this it's just like uh let's pretend that didn't happen and we'll do freddy versus well it's it could have still happened it just happened after freddy versus jason (laughs) (laughs) which is which again is is semi-unprecedented because that that wasn't the same studio that was paramount and new line getting trying to get two different studios characters together it wasn't like the, the universal monsters or marvel it was a bigger feat than that. That doesn't really ever happen with films. But I believe New Line had to eventually buy Jason, and that's kind of why you have this one. I was like, I am so close to recommending this. Just I will. I will go out there. It's it fun. I'm going to recommend it. Fun. it. All right. Fun. There's a couple of touches that I thought were brilliant. Uh, the cryogenically frozen person makes a reference to future guy being me up, and the future guy has no clue what she's referring to, which makes sense. Because if I make a 400-year non-Shakespearean reference, no one's going to pick it up. You know, there's no way Star Trek is still going to be popular 400 years from now. I don't know, so man. Watching the, watch the old movies right now and having a blast. Oh, they're so good. <laughs> uh, but it's a wacky fun. I mean, if you just title it Jason Goes to Space, you know what you're going mm-hmm. it in for and it delivers on jason going to space i will say this is the best jason goes to space film you could (laughs) i don't know how you could make that premise better and what's what's great is there's potential to follow up on it 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 ends even more ambiguously than the previous films where jason is just cast off onto another planet and i don't know what i want out of the friday 13th franchise i'm rooting for this lawsuit to be settled and stuff to happen because I love the game, but it's the like... The game is where I got in. I had never been into the franchise before the game, but the game really sucked me in. It, I, wow. I think that... I think I know where I wanted to go. Well, Sorry, I just go. cut you off, but... Vegas? I think you just mentioned Star Trek. I want Jason to land on a planet full of Vulcans Ooh. and or Klingons and see what happens. Nobody's fucking okay. here. Except I gotta wait seven years <laughs> start killing people. I, I love the Friday the 13th series. It's one of those things, I love it and I just don't really care if it moves forward, but I'd be fa- I'll be fascinated to see how because this is, watching this in 2002, like, you were mad. This sucks. They <laughs> fucked up Jason. Now we're not gonna get another one. This is stupid. And now it's just like, this is a fun thing to do with Jason. It, this is fine. It, and it's, it's hilarious and just perfectly emblematic of like late 90s early 2000s canadian schlock horror film like just fucking awesome anyway moving on to television of 2002 we got a tv movie with tom wilkinson he's just tom wilkinson in every tv movie ronnie baker Derek jacoby uh lena hetty uh linus roche jim broadbent vanessa redgrave albert finney and the gathering storm Oh, we got double Albert Finney's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is a HBO BBC, I think, movie about Winston Churchill before World War II, where he was sort of 
on the outs, like he had been an important guy and now he's just trying to pull his shit together and it ends in like 39. So like just as the war's about to start and it's pretty dang good. I do love when I watched it back in the day, you know, it opens with the ratings of like, you know, violence, nudity. And I'm like, nudity? Are we going <laughs> to get naked Winston Finny, Churchill? Finny. That's literally the opening. Wow. <laughs> really? <laughs> Yeah, uh, Winston Churchill used to dictate letters and correspondence while nude what? in his bathtub. Yep. So yep. hard worker. But it is his wilderness years, the time in his life when he was out of power, which is a very fascinating time to show a politician. Almost always we show their height when they're fighting the thing they're famous for. But of course, all politicians existed before their height. And this is what we're really seeing. We're seeing Winston Churchill when he was not a popular man, when he was rather a disliked politician. In a lot of ways, there's some similarities with President Zelensky before the war. Zelensky was not a popular president. He uh, was viewed as being ineffective, but in wartime leadership, you often have traits that come out that are invaluable because it's a literal live or die situation. And things that may not work in peacetime uh, are absolutely necessary in a war of survival. Yep. Well, yeah, Gathering Storm on HBO Plus. It was pretty good. Ooh. Interesting. Oh, boy. And I hope I don't have to talk too long about this. But uh, 2002, in the middle of April, the G4 network launches. <laughs> I, be I believe it took over the E spinoff, the Style Channel. I, I remember because I had previously just moved out of my parents' house for the first time with my best friends, which naturally we all became enemies and didn't speak for years. And now we're, you know, I, my friend let me live at her house and she had this new thing called digital cable with like Nickelodeon game shows running 24 seven in the 2080s game shows in the 2000s. And this little channel called G4, I'm huge into video games. This channel was like, it's one of the most fascinating failures I've ever seen because certain things really succeeded. And like your X play, like review shows and uh, attack of the show, a geek centered show and un tradition trying to cover video games like sports and art at the same time, like, uh, here's your creator of games. Here's the Twin Galaxies assholes. <laughs> Billy Mitchell is introduced into, like, because they have so much stuff to cover, and you can't just have reviews and news all day. And everything in between reviews and news is weird, and you would think is sort of the weirdest programming decision you've ever made. Because they're, they're trying to make shows that are covering games, but unlike movies, you need permission from those studios to constantly make things with their assets and profit off them on television. <laughs> so there's a MMORPG centered show that has no cooperation from like, wow, no, like the video game shows have no cooperation from Nintendo. So they're just doing what they can. And, and I remember even the show I really liked Cinematech. It was just the intro to video games shown with no context. Uh, that's it. The opening of final mm -hmm. fantasy nine, the opening <laughs> of bust a groove. And in a way, G4, Twitch should make everyone who shit on G4 feel like idiots. Of course there was stuff they could do with that. It just, they didn't, esports wasn't really at a place where it could be yeah. shown on television 20 mm. years ago. And, and, and companies it's weren't very cooperative. I feel like technology always made a video game set trick television network unfeasible. Either the technology wasn't there to provide it with enough coverage or the technology surpassed it where anyone who wanted video games would go to Twitch streaming and whatnot instead of watching it on an old-fashioned cable. It, it was sort of both because I think its biggest 
uh, probably its biggest rating spike was during E3 because they mm. could be there shooting live from E3 and showing you brand new shit when the internet is sort of just getting started with video coverage of any kind. Uh, G4 was there producing it on a professional level. So that's when yeah. I would tune in every year. It makes sense because digital media is such a big thing and video games are so such mm. a, a huge moneymaker. Mm-hmm. It seems hard that you can fill an entire programming block. This I feel like this should have been a two-hour show daily, and that's about well, it. Do you remember what the channel essentially became? Uh, yes. You do. A lot it, of a lot of reruns of cops, or I think che- were on there. Cheaters, I think. Che- cheaters, like made up yeah. of cheaters, and and it like. We did a whole laser time on channel drift, but G4 was probably destined to drift the biggest had it not become defunct. And now it's been resurrected. I don't know where it stands. I don't have cable. I, yeah, I, it's, it's supposed to come back in November. Okay. So but... it's back as a website, as yeah. a web presence with some of the old talent, uh, many of whom I've met and hung out with. Very, very nice people. But yeah, G4 was too early, I think, uh, a little mm. too early. And it's fascinating. And I can't find any information or video of those programs. It's they're kind of all lost to time. It, it was everybody's like channel 130. And if you didn't have that new cable box, do you remember back when we didn't have over a hundred channels? Like when I moved mm-hmm. out of like 20 years ago, that was just getting started and pretty expensive. So like most people didn't even know this channel who would have wanted to see it, didn't know it existed or didn't have access to it. But Weird. 2002, it's just, it's very early. Mm-hmm. It's very early to be trying this. Yeah. I uh, mean, good on them, but it's a little early. Oh, Carol, what? The Carol Burnett Show. Showstoppers. Showstoppers. So this is an entire episode about corpsing. It's all about the times on the uh, Carol Burnett Show when people broke character and could not stop laughing. Yes. Which (laughs) the show sort of encouraged, and I believe that is... kind of famous for. Yeah, that that is Lorne Michaels' shorthand for why he encourages people on Saturday Night Live to not do that. We are not the Carol Burnett Show. I think he's using that vaguely as an insult also like, but there's already a show that does that in a bunch of seventies variety shows. If they did that all the time, it is sort of bizarre characters breaking character and just laughing and clapping each other's backs in the middle of scenes. (laughs) Is it just the highlight of all those? Yeah. On network television. On network television. (laughs) Media is about to change, baby. And then Friends, the one with a baby shower. So this is when Rachel kind of actually realizes that babies are a lot of work. She is... I know. She is comically unsure of what you do with an actual baby. She has a baby shower, and she's given a breast pump, and she's like, why are you giving my baby a beer bong? And she's giving a diaper genie and she's like, well, I'll just take any dirty diaper out to the street. And they're like, you're going to do that 12, 14 times a day. And she's Mm -hmm. like, they don't do that, do they? (laughs) And uh, she starts getting freaked out and she asks her mom to move in with her. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) But that's a problem with Ross, who is not a fan of her mother. Uh, and then uh, on a show I was watching, The Job, and it's another terrible title uh, for a television show, The Job. Uh, like 75% of television shows could be called The Job. Yep. Cheers, uh. The Job. You know? <laughs> Wings, The Job. The Sopranos, The Job. It, it, it works <laughs> hey, for everything. Work. Mm-hmm. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, The Job. It's a show about... It's hard to make it sound exciting, but it's uh, created by Dennis Leary and uh, Peter Tolan, the co-creator of Larry Sanders' show. Hmm. And it was a, 20 years ago, it was not very common to have a, it was not common to have a single camera 
no, no laugh track half hour comedy that wasn't really mm-hmm. happening yet. The show was ahead of its time in that sense, was a little darker, edgier, and the public didn't really show up for it. But it eventually all became Rescue Me. Like almost the entire cast was mm-hmm. brought over to Rescue Me on FX to make one of the weirdest one hour comma dramedies I've ever seen that just got too eye rolly to keep watching. But the job was a uh, critically one of those critically revered shows that, that websites started tracking like, hey man, well, I know the show's canceled, but can we get this on DVD? Don't hide it away forever. It's too good for that. That just start, that's starting to happen like right now. And uh, the job was big on my list for that. Lex Ends, a show I've never heard of. It's a German Canadian sci-fi show. And it is weird. I never watched it. Lex takes place in a literal, non-metaphorical, universal of infinite return. You know, one of those snakes eating its own tail things. And it's got a very low budget, like super low. And Mm. it tries to do giant things with that low budget. And uh, lastly, we have Caitlin's Way that ends this week. Norfin moves in with her cousins from Montana to avoid spending time in Juvenile Hall. And she learns and grows. Yay. All right. And then uh, the game. The game of 2002. And you can probably see why. 2002 FIFA World Cup on PS2. Uh, I think so. I bought this game because I attended the 2002 FIFA what? World Cup in Korea. I was oh. in Japan at the time, so it was a quick hop and a jump off of the ferry. I Whoa. didn't even take a plane, I just took a ferry. And it is the only happy ride of when South Korea won a game that no one in South Korea thought they would win. And people flooded the streets like in a tidal wave but Mm. not like burning or looting just the equivalent of the biggest highway you've ever seen filled with people dancing just happy and i i watched this like wave of people push against some cops go back push against the cops go back and then the cops just went no and they just allowed them to swarm onto the highway and dance and party and i have (laughs) never seen a city composed of nothing but happy people. What the? And I still have the t-shirt, and this is the oldest t-shirt I have in my possession, wow. 20 years old. Wow. So what? I bought the game, uh, even though I don't like soccer, just to remember it. Wow. And it's a soccer game. You know? <laughs> how, yeah. do you, how do you celebrate a sports victory without an overturned car or flaming mattress? I don't get it. They didn't. Don't even it was know just it. happiness. No. You're supposed to climb up the poles. That's why the yes. cops grease them ahead of time. Oh, wow, do they? <laughs> you can't do that. Go Eagles. <laughs> <laughs> uh, FIFA World. But yeah, FIFA is one of the biggest selling games of all time. And I think it was yeah. always a huge seller abroad and sort of had its audience, the American audience, had to catch up with FIFA the game. I think we got the World Cup, the 2002 World Cup coming up, which was, yeah, co hosted by South Korea and Japan. And it's, there are some good fucking games in there, man. Yeah. I remember staying up late and watching them. Do you like the World yeah. Cup? It's like the only sport I, I like do to love watch. the World Cup. Yeah. And, uh, I don't think I'm supporting it this time, though. Yeah, hate FIFA like the World Cup. Don't know what to do no, about it. No, this time just uh, got, got issues with slave labor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, oh, my God, I only just found this out. It's like, why did anyone not tell me that the main stadium in, in Qatar that they've designed for the 2022 World Cup was direct, it is designed by Albert Spears' son? Like no. Yes. So when you're does it look like it's designed by his son? No. But when your Hitler's favorite architect is your dad, (laughs) why do you go into architecture? Wow. 
You go into anything else. Uh, go into demolition. Oh. Yes. Oh my god, he totally should have. That would have been brilliant. fuck you, Dad. But he made a success out of it. I mean, designing yes. a stadium is huge. Yeah, it's like in his eighties, and yeah, that's a massive thing. But what the fuck? Wow. Potter. Have you seen those uh, mock-ups of what Berlin was going to look like? Yeah. I mean, Spear no. had some crazy ideas. Yeah, was this like oh. the big dome stadium that's supposed to hold like a half a million people? Well, Spears yeah, is it was a, supposed to be so For the audience out that, there, like, not me because I know, that Spears <laughs> guy is an architect from Germany. Yeah. Uh, he's an architect from Germany, but because Hitler honestly had very, very poor management, he decided almost randomly, hey, you know my architect? He's going to run the entire Nazi economy, like the whole thing. <laughs> and so he became one of the most powerful men in Nazi Germany because he decided, do we give the ball bearings to the airplane factories or the tank factory? Um, yeah. But yeah, he was also designing victory monuments and things. And he was going to design a building so large that people did calculations, it would eventually develop its own weather system. Like the humidity <laughs> would get stuck and clouds would form in the dome. Uh, yeah, so I'm looking forward to talking about 2002 World Cup, not so much 2022. I'm very World happy with this. Connection. I'm very happy with this sidetrack, but I, JR, I can't hear any more bad mouthing of Hitler. He won't be disrespected <laughs> on this program. Diane is not laughing, so I have to say I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> And then let's let me close out with some Lisa Left Eye Lopez featuring Tupac, Untouchable, as our salute to the dearly departed Lisa Left Eye Lopez of 20 years ago. But stay right there. We got a lot more to cover in 2012. Live under the dirt and a flower. Ready to come up in the door. It's out. It ain't the courage of my persona. You want to admire it's the faith. Because with the faith, I can walk through the fire. And I feel, I know you feel. It's the untouchable. Make yourself presentable. internet and all the ships at sea it's time for diana's classic corner we go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watching and for the week of april 22nd through 28th uh yeah another two movies that have absolutely nothing to do with each other and yet i have to recommend both of them starting with 60 years ago this week or 1962 is john ford's the man who shot liberty valance which kind of combines like everything from classic westerns into just one giant pile because you got John Wayne and you got James Stewart, who both made westerns, but often in very different directions. And uh, they're up against Lee Marvin, who's one of the best bad guys from a western. He's 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 just an ominous, ominous man. And it's, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting movie in that, like, it's about myth-making, but it's also about, like, protecting a small town. And it's about, you know, how far are you willing to go to protect people, blah, blah, blah. Uh, in the end... It should come as no surprise. It comes down on a pretty conservative viewpoint of things, but it's it's a fun watch. As classic westerns go, it's it's pretty foundational. So, uh, yeah, Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, 1962. And then having nothing to do with anything, but just a good movie, especially if you want to um, indulge in some sort of chemical thing. 40 years ago this week, Koyona Skatsi, Life Out of Balance, came out. 1982, which is a non-narrative film. Like, it's... 
It's one of those that's very hard to describe because it's just sort of about life and earth and the human experience set to Philip Glass music. And it's just neat. It's just a neat watch. It's not a movie so much as an experience. And it's just pretty dang neat. So yeah, Koyana Skatsi. <sighs> it's hard to spell. <laughs> Start with uh, K-O-Y-A-A-N. And, and then you can find it. I, I don't know what else to say about it. It's just, it's a neat experience that makes you feel all connected to all we're people all over the world, I guess. And yeah, that's it for this week. Stay classic. Coming in 2012, wow, doesn't get more 2012 than Gautier, uh, somebody that I used to know, number one. And of course, the obvious joke is that as he is a one-hit wonder, he is now someone we used to know. Well, he's a one-hit wonder here. It's one of those things I learned doing musical research. <laughs> it turns out, like, there's no such thing as a one-hit wonder. Oh, like Everyone it. is big in Europe. Everyone's the big in Europe. Or the Philippines or Australia or, you know, even Criss Cross had another album. I, I just remember this. I was seeing like three covers of this per day. People were shooting from their cell phones. Acapella version. Here's one I play on Spoons. And it made it made the song so much more annoying. And it's it's not Godier's fault in any way. But the rise of like viral covers and shit. It, <clears throat> my internet diet has changed so much. Welcome to 2012, April 22nd to 28th. Other new releases include Blunderbuss by uh, Jack White, Out of the Game by Rufus Rainwhite, Generation Freak Show by Feeder, This Machine by the Dandy Warhols, Nine Lives by Deuce, Speak in Code by Eve Six, Up All Night by Kip Moore, Master of My Make Believe by Santa Gold, uh, Born Villain by Marilyn Manson, and Electra Heart by um, Mariana and the Diamonds. Whew, lots of music out this week. I have nothing to say. <laughs> Oh. Marilyn Manson is wrong. You are not born a villain. You choose to become one. Oh, yeah. I, and you suck, Marilyn Manson. I, I forgot about all I forgot about all of him. <laughs> and I guess that's I the best. remember a uh, onion article uh, when he started to wane in popularity. Marilyn Manson changes mind and says he did cause Columbine. <laughs> Uh, well, there's always that Wonder Years yeah. reunion. He's, you know, for no uh, hashtag. I believe Evan Rachel Wood. Oh He's yeah, a rapist creep. Yeah, yeah, burning cigarettes on people. What's your fucking problem? Yeah, I was. I thought you were going to reference the Onion article about Marilyn Manson going door to door to shock people. Just, <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I think that's the one when he says, "I did cause Columbine." <laughs> I did Columbine. <laughs> uh, a little bit of news in 2012. Uh, four explosions in Dnipro. Dnipro, Ukraine killed 27 people. Yeah, and they're still not entirely sure who who done it or why. So it's a it's a terrorism. It's a man made explosion. Yeah, okay. no, they're right. at uh, rail stations. Ooh. Yeah, but now it's a big hub for humanitarian aid, and I think the Russians might have been bombing it the other day. Wow. Thanks. They don't have enough problems. I'm tired of talking about 2022. Why does this episode keep making us do that? Ugh. <laughs> 
But there's it's almost like history is connected somehow. <laughs> it's all high on a Scotsy, baby. People magazine's uh, most beautiful people issue is out, and you'll never guess who's number one. Get ready, Bayhive. It's the Beyonce. Beyonce's number one. And that's like what, ten years is that almost ten years after <laughs> Dusty's child calls it quits? Yeah. Beyonce still uh, is hotter than ever. And let's get into twenty twelve movies. <laughs> I, well, bizarrely, mom. Think Like a Man is still number one at the box office. But what do I know? I don't think white people were seeing that movie. And the also out this week, Sound of My Voice with Britt Marling, uh, Christopher Tenham, Nicholas Vickius, and uh, Avery Pohl. Yeah, so this is another super hyper indie, that, but it has a really good reputation. And I feel like a jerk that I didn't manage to get to see it. It's about two journalists who try to interview the head of a cult. And she claims she is from the future. And it's about manipulation and belief and how people get into cults and yeah really good reviews and i feel like a dick and i didn't get to see sound of my voice did anyone else no no sorry too busy with with the other stuff uh like the phenomenal bernie starring jack black shirley mclean and matthew mcconaughey oh my god uh my wife and i fell in love with this this is just such a delightful comedy from start to finish I don't, I know, it's not that I think, it's that I know conclusively no movie in all of history has made me like a murderer as much as this film does. It's Because Bernie is a murderer. He murdered someone. Yeah, this is based on... And they make you like him, like a lot. It's yeah. based on a true story of Bernard, uh, Bernhard Tidy Tidy mm-hmm. by Richard Linklater, and I believe in real life Richard Linklater befriended him, and he stayed at his house. Yeah, so, well, that's yeah. that's the fight, weird aftermath. We can talk about that in a second. So, I read the original long form journalism piece by Skip Hollinsworth that this was based on, mm-hmm. and he is absolutely one of my favorite writers. If, if you enjoy true crime enfolding the, the unfolding of a story. He, he's you have to look up skip hollandsworth's work it's fantastic and he writes for texas texas monthly i think he's also the executive editor there and i remember reading this piece and just being like this is the craziest fucking story i've ever heard and then a couple of years go by and then i see this movie's coming out by richard linklater who's you know texan through and through and i'm like i don't know if they're gonna do it justice man mm-hmm. because the story's so weird and this one of the smart things he did was he brought in skip hollandsworth to co-write it with him mm. And so it feels like a documentary a lot of the time because so much of it is like townspeople of Carthage, Texas, telling you the background of all this stuff. And because it just the talking heads make it feel like they're the real people and they're, you're really seeing what's really going on, even though it's not. It's the fiction version. But I mean, the basic story is Jack Black is a rather sweet natured and effeminate assistant funeral director in the small town who befriends Shirley MacLaine, who's basically just playing her part from Steel Magnolias again. She's just like the rich lady who's mean. And she starts abusing him. And he can't, he can never turn her down. He can never say no. And like, he's her only friend and he feels bad for her. And he's and such a sweet guy. He has, he can't, he can't figure out another way to get away from her. And, <laughs> and so out of nowhere, he shoots her in the back and puts her in the freezer. And then starts spending her money, giving it to other people. He's not buying shit for himself. He's giving it away. He doesn't spend any of the fortune on himself. 
he yeah. only spends it to to <laughs> spend uh, the wrestling team out of state to yeah. give a poor parent a playset for their kid. You know, yeah. the, everything you could tug a heartstring on, he does. Yeah. And and then when the murder comes to light. Everyone sides with him. Yeah, well, because they really hated this woman. She's so mean. She's so mean to everyone. She's everyone so hates mean. her. And yeah, and it's it's so so funny. And it's I mean, having read the original piece, it really stays close to it. The idea that when they try to prosecute him for murder, they have to request a change of venue because the town <laughs> likes him too much that the prosecutor can't get a fair trial. And they is... say that this is the only time that has ever happened. Like it's very common that someone is hated so much they can't get a fair trial, but they've never had someone liked so much they can't get a fair trial. Yeah. And it's like, I hate even giving any of this stuff away because the, as it goes on, it's just such a fun revelation <laughs> realizing like, no, this is not your typical like Black Widower story. This is so, so strange and different. But Matthew McConaughey is a DA. He's fucking hilarious. Jack Black, I think it might be his best performance. Yeah, I think it's fair to yeah. say. Yeah, he is he great. He kills it. And there's a scene at the end of the movie with him interacting with the real guy, obviously studying for the role, and he does an amazing job. Yeah, and if you like, like Jack Black singing, he sings a lot. He sings more in this than uh, Tenacious D. <laughs> movie. He is constantly singing with the church choir and in the version of Music Man. And oh gosh, but yeah, the aftermath of this story is so weird. So he, Bernie Teed, was found guilty of murder and sentenced to 99 years and after this movie a lawyer got involved and found some new evidence such as that like they they kind of forced him to make a confession that it was premeditated which it doesn't seem like it was and they left out information that he had been abused as a child and that might lead to disassociative states which would explain very suddenly killing someone if you are triggered by your past trauma mm -hmm. and that this was presented by a jury so they got him a resentencing trial and he got out for about two years on a bill and he moved into Richard Linkletter's garage. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. 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 Um, but then the sentencing resentencing didn't go well for him and he's back in prison. What? I think he, he's up for parole in like seven or eight years. It's, it's so confusing, but this movie is fucking perfect. Perfect Absolutely. Linklater movie. Not a mistake was made in this. There's not a frame I would cut or add. Yeah. The movie's great. It's no. called Bernie. So don't say we didn't say the name. Bernie. If you Google it and you found a senator, you got the wrong Bernie. The Raven is also out this week with John Cusack, Alice Eve, and Luke Evans, and Brendan Gleeson. Uh. Uh. <laughs> so Edgar Allan Poe is an utterly fascinating man. Yes. He was the Amy Winehouse of his day. He could <laughs> totally have a great biography on how he was famous and then did drugs and drank himself to death. You could make a fan fantastic movie out of that this is not that film this is bonkers that they thought like it's it's a cute idea for like a fan fiction story like why are you making a movie it's basically someone is serial killing in the style of edgar Allan poe stories and he's brought on to solve the case so it's basic instinct in 1840 baltimore <laughs> Yeah, and it, it all ends up being like part of the conspiracy of how Poe died because he did die under very strange circumstances. Because he was a huge was, drug and alcohol yeah. user, and they don't having a strange death for that is not unusual at all. Yeah, I, I was trying to think of what is what is this reminding me of that I liked better, and 
I found one review that finally hit, hit the nail on the head. It's like, this is like from hell if it were even dumber. Like, ah, yeah, I'm going for a from hell thing, but it's also extremely embarrassing for everyone involved. It, it like the a... Raven is so dumb. You should watch the earlier version of the Raven, the Roger Corman one that has nothing to do with the poem at all. It's just got oh, man. really, really old horror guys staring at each other. Yeah, it's Vincent Price. Will he... <laughs> and the worst Jack Nicholson performance you've ever seen in your Hell life because yeah. he's a fucking baby. And uh, yeah. Oh my God, it's so dumb. Or just watch. I almost want to recommend it because it's so dumb. Isn't this the premise of Murder She Wrote? No, no. Just... Although you could. Oh do... no, this woman's been killed here in the Rube Morgue where we are. <laughs> Fuck you. Is this the first time John Cusack has had facial hair in a film? Huh. I don't know because um, I don't watch movies Care? released <laughs> exclusively at Walmart. No, it's just, it's just <laughs> if you if go by a Walmart and there'll be like 14 Bruce Willis, and I don't want to make a joke about Bruce Willis, feel bad mm. for him, and John Cusack movies you've never heard of that come out every three weeks. Yeah. They are constantly making movies that show up nowhere, that are not advertised to you, hit no streaming services. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just disappointed because it's directed by James McTeague, who directed V for Vendetta. Yeah. And has deserved a better career than he's had speaking as a solo of, director. Speaking of one-hit wonders. Also out this week in, uh, in Groanland, uh, Robert John Burke, Anson Mount, Chris Sarandon, uh, Catherine Chan and Jason Jason Statham in Safe, another interchangeable Jason Statham action movie. Uh, and I am a Statham fan. How many movies are called Safe? Yeah, yeah. One of the most disturbing movies I've ever seen with Julianne Moore is called Safe, and I feel like I'd rather watch that uh, than this. I don't even know what this is about. He's a, a hardened blank. Yeah. Who uh, and, and he has then to a, protect blank. And a gang of thugs comes up. Uh, he runs against a gang of thugs blank, and has to fight his way out. Uh, yep. Jason Statham, everyone. There's the transporter and nothing else when it comes He's to... He's protecting a kid from the Russian mob. Yeah. <sighs> got it. Safe. Safe. Yeah. Uh, let's move on. Let's move on to Reese Iphens, Allison Brie, Chris Pratt, Emily Blunt, and Jason Siegel in The Five-Year Engagement. Look at all of them. They're all just white and puffy and stupid. This is your wedding. You only get a few of these. Tom and Violet are perfect for each other. If only they could survive the engagement. What a cute little flower girl you'll be. I'm Katniss. From the producer of Bridesmaids. Have you two picked the date yet? Within the year. Bubba's last words were, can't wait till Violet's wedding. The five-year engagement. So, you know, it was made by the same guy who did uh, Sarah, Marshall. Sarah Marshall, probably the best romantic comedy of the 2000s, in my right. opinion. Personally, I've never had an on-again, off-again relationship, uh, mm -hmm. but my wife had one before we were dating and she said that although it's funny in comedies in real life it is god awful <laughs> humans do not like uncertainty especially in relationships and they keep having uncertainty in their five-year engagement they keep having thing after thing after thing cause them to postpone cause them to question uh, the big issue is moving you know, kind of like the two sitcoms where moving is a huge life change. Uh, you often come to a point in a relationship where one person wants to move or needs to move and the other person has no desire to move. And at that point, you have a big decision to make. Mm -hmm. I've actually moved twice for my wife's career. For love? Both times. Yeah, love. <laughs> Both times, though, it's not a fun decision. The secret is really you have to kind of view the marriage itself as its own thing. 
and that you have to think what is best for the marriage, what is good for us as a unit. And that includes not having your needs met, your needs not considered. But if what is best for both of you is to move and that hurts one person, but really helps another person, sometimes that's the best thing to do, but it's never easy. And this film deals with that in a pretty comedic way, but I watched it soon after I moved for my wife's job and it hit home because when you're (laughs) uprooted from your own job and you lose your job, not because of anything you did, but just because it's like, well, we're going to move for my spouse's career and I hope I find something. Mm. Well, you better hope the job market is good for you and your niche for where you're moving to. And that's not always the case. Yeah. I, I found this Pretty charming. No, no big surprise. You know, comedy with Jason Siegel, produced by Judd Apatow. Nicholas Stoller is a fun writer director. I feel like in his filmography, this has been kind of forgotten about. Forgetting for Sarah Marshall and Neighbors sort of overshadow it. Mm. And it's like, yeah, yeah, it's pretty sweet. Oh, just like yeah, having to make compromises as a couple, but also just having shit get in the way where it's like, oh, I think we're going to get married now. And oh, no, your sister's pregnant. We're having a big thing. Oh, grandma died. And we got to have a thing. Now. And it's just like, now it's not a good time. Now is not a good time. Now is not a good time. <laughs> yeah, I'd totally forgotten this movie existed until until I watched the trailer and the little kid going, I'm Katniss, and shooting him with an arrow. I was like, oh, yeah. Wow, that was timely. Hunger Games is still out in theaters. I thought it, I thought it was a completely different movie with Rashida Jones and Andy Samberg. I'm like, oh, fuck, I got to watch that now. Nope, no. I'd, I'd already seen it. But I Yeah, so five-year engagement. The movie I hadn't seen and was uh, curious to check out because I deeply love this studio, but have had they've had weird entries as of late. But the cast, look at that. Brendan Gleeson again. Lenny Henry, Martin Freeman, David Tennant, Imelda Stoughton, Jeremy Piven, Selma Hayek, and Hugh Grant in The Pirates in an adventure with the scientists, a.k.a. Pirates Band of Misfits if you're in the U.S. Because apparently when it comes to British fantasy films, we hate words like scientist and philosopher. Get it out of here! He's got the crew. He's got the moves. But there's one thing he hasn't got. Here's the plan. I enter Pirate of the Year. I win! Bingo! From the creators of Chicken Run and Wallace and Gromit. This can only end brilliantly! This is this movie is wonderful. <laughs> it is such a freaking treat. I feel like I don't, I don't know why. I, I, I kind of feel like when we were talking about the adventures of Tintin and you mm. were just like, eh, I don't want to. Yeah. I'm like, but you're an animation fan. Check it out. And you're like, oh, okay. And then you do. And you're like, oh, shit, that was great. I feel like that with the pirates exclamation point. Because well, you, it's like, I, I, I love Wallace and Gromit. I've loved Ardman Studios. You liked Arthur Christmas more than I did. I didn't care I liked for that. Arthur Christmas more. But I was sort of like, I mean, it seems like they're getting back to basics. But I don't know. It just... First of all, I thought this was computer animated, and it is not. It's there. It's not. It's, it's not. Somewhat. Well, okay. that, that's I. As far as I can tell, Ardman Studios, creators of Wallace and Gromit, have been a like a fifty year stop motion institution, and a few years before this, they made the movie Flushed Away, and mm-hmm. they claimed it was because well, there's all this water, and we can't really do water with stop motion the story takes place in water so we're going to try our hand at cg and there's in my opinion there's something about either their art style or their comedic style that doesn't work as well in cg i, I just see i loved arthur christmas i thought arthur christmas was one of the best christmas movie of the current century mm-hmm. whoa <laughs> i mean possibly yeah, 
I was I was really pleasantly surprised. But it's computer animated and it's not done in their house style. Yeah, with the wide mouths. And this is sort of just like that return to high budget, super high budget Wallace and Gromit stuff. And when they CG the water, they stop motion the characters and the ship. And like, perfect. I'm perfect. Uh, we, can, we can both get together on this and... I love this movie. I, I'd never seen it before because, you know, I'm 32 when it comes out and <sighs> hard enough to get dates. Can't go dragging them to kids' movies. But yeah. this is, I don't it's, know if kids will even get this. It's so, it's so kind silly. of. It's it, so much fun. It's so and much fun, but it's like, it, it, it relies weirdly, on a lot, a lot of pirate myths. and. Uh, yeah, but it feels weirdly timely if you've just watched Our Flag Means Dad. Yes. Yeah. Because the tone is so similar of like, they're pirates, but they're not like really good at it like they're trying kind of hard to be pirates incompetent evil is always always funny usually it's yeah. never not funny and it's i think they uh, yeah our flag means death and the pirates stream on this um, on hbo max word Does, yeah they they do but yeah so they said it's about um the ship of pirates and the pirate captain wants to become pirate of the year the pirate of the year competition and through goofy ass circumstances ends up with Charles Darwin <laughs> trying to get him to go to a science competition to show off his parrot, which is actually the last the surviving last... Dodo oh. <laughs> 150 <laughs> years after Dodo's went extinct. And he's too dumb to notice. And then, uh, yeah, everyone's trying to steal his Dodo and goofy shit happens. And Queen Victoria's there and she hates pirates and chases him around a bunch. The, this movie <laughs> is a delight, and a, but I really want to highlight one thing. I am great at recognizing voice acting performances. Great. Mm. And I, you know, trying to be a better viewer, I, I try not to look at my phone while I'm watching a movie. I'm like, I cannot place... The pirate captain's name is just pirate captain. I'm like, who is this? This 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 dude is great. And I look it up and it's like, this is Hugh Grant? Like, he's mm. done comedies his entire career, usually with these little bits of stuttering and uh, like... Didn't sound other than Bradley Cooper's Rocket Raccoon. I can't think of a voice performance I could not match to that actor. This is nothing like anything Hugh Grant has ever done. This is. I have a theory now. Here, here is my theory that yeah, Hugh Grant has been doing comedies, mostly light comedies, for damn near thirty years, and he's very easy to make fun of and pick on. Mm -hmm. If he's in an ensemble movie or if he's not the top build, yeah, he is a fucking all star. And that movie's going to kick ass. I, I was shocked because I thought this is such a great character who is, I, I can tell that's He's Tim from The Office. Good. I know that. I, yes. <laughs> I know that. Uh, but yeah, he was he was amazing. And this is based on a series of books. And this is just the first book. It seems unlikely we'll get further I'm entries. so mad about this too. Yeah, that's why the name changed because the book is called The Pirates and Adventure with Scientists. The third book in the series is called The Pirates and an Adventure with Communists. And I want to <laughs> see this movie. Whoa. Well, I hope there's some... <laughs> about Marx and Engels and the pirates have to save them from evil Richard Wagner. I rarely ask. I, I, I don't ask because we don't have the power, but uh, I wish people would see this movie and I wish people would talk more about this movie. And I wish Sony is giving Chicken Run another go because Ardman Studios has to partner up with these huge distributors and they're kind of that girl that always gets dumped in, mm -hmm. in, in most situations. This is made with Sony. They're not working with Sony anymore. Netflix should follow up on this. This should be a series. This should be. This would be a wonderful series. To yeah, that would be a great series. And, and so if Netflix is keen on rebooting Chicken Run, talk to them about the pirates after this. I would love to see more of these characters. I all every character is great, well designed and funny. This was this is a breath of fresh air. I'm pissed I didn't yeah. see it in theaters. Now I I didn't 
see the cast, the full cast list until after I watched it on HBO. But I think the version on HBO might be the British version. Because oh, right. a couple of voices were redubbed for America. Oh, yeah, and what a lost performance by Anton Yelchin, I think. Uh, yeah, Anton Yelchin redubs the guy. I always forget the British call them albino, not albino. <laughs> I always, I, it took me, it's like every time there's like an extra I second. I thought that was his funny quirk. I thought that was his funny quirk. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All albino. the characters have really funny quirks. And it, it was, yeah, it was charming. It's fun. Maybe it'll get kids interested in science. I don't know. I think, but, I yeah, think it's great. I love it. We're, we might. It was, all... big, it was the big surprise of the week for me, honestly. Like I did not oh, I, I, think I, I would like it, and I don't know why. Because, I love Iron Man. Because of my experience with Tintin. I, and there's something about pirate stuff. Like Pirates of the Caribbean, like, man, stop with the pirate stuff. I was really into pirates. I, I alone, I didn't have any friends who were into pirates other than me as a kid. And then all of a sudden in the 2000s, people won't shut up about them. I overlooked this. I encourage you not to. Check it out, and let's cross our fingers. We get more yeah. Hugh Grant as Pirate Captain, because goddamn, yeah. that was a great performance. Pirates, Band of Misfits, a.k.a. Pirates, in Adventure with Scientists. And the, um, on the television of 2012, April 22nd oh, to the 28th. so much good shit. Well, yeah, if you, have, if you like NBC shows. Uh, oh, wait, no, there's a big premiere. Sorry, I didn't see that one. Wild Grinders debuts. <laughs> All right. This is a cartoon about kids going around and doing skate tricks. Each kid has its own personality, and it's just exactly what you would expect from a kid's skater comedy. In, in must-see TV news, we have Parks and Rec episode The Debate. This is hilarious. This is Leslie Nope on a debate stage trying to make her case. Next to her is the porn star candidate who keeps referring to all the ways <laughs> she and Leslie Nope are similar to each other, and she's wearing an outfit and a hairstyle that looks awfully like Leslie Nope. And there's a anti-gun control nut who brings every question back to guns because he really wants to go ahead with gun vending machines. He <laughs> thinks that's the solution to everything. And we have Paul Rudd as the son <laughs> of the big industrialist in town, the guy who employs like 50% of Pawnee. And he offhandedly mentions that if he doesn't become mayor, his dad thinks he might have to move to Mexico. No pressure. <laughs> One of my favorite side Parks and Rec characters is Bobby Newport. This this like oh, young, this young, handsome George W. Bush. This know nothing, irritatingly polite. I, I don't know. Like you, you want to hate this person, but you can't. God damn, and you hate yourself for it. But Paul Rudd, mm. great fucking guest character in uh, Parks and Rec. Thirty Rock has the live from Studio Six H episode. Oh and, boy, uh -oh. you're not going to be able to find this bad boy anymore. Nope, unless you whip out a standard def DVD. Uh, this episode has been, and I don't even know who who did the blackface. Was it John Ham? John Ham. John Ham does blackface, but he does it to make fun of blackface. The mm -hmm. whole point of the skit is that blackface is wrong. And as soon as he comes on stage, Jordan says, "Oh hell no, I'm not doing this." And <laughs> Then they force him back on stage, and he's like, Sir, I am asking you as a human being, this is demeaning to us both. I was a Tuskegee airman. <laughs> yeah. The whole point is that blackface is wrong. That's the point of the sketch. Right. I, yeah. But, you know, context but, disappears yeah. during times of strife. And Yeah. So, anyway, I mean, this is their second live episode, and they have basically a bunch of parodies of other TV shows, plus they have... Um, 
people as you know the younger version jimmy fallon shows up as young jack donaghy donald glover plays up shows up as young tracy jordan and yeah there's it's a parody of amos and andy about you know a black actor and a white actor wearing blackface where yeah the black actor becomes involved in civil rights and refuses to keep doing this amos and andy bullshit and it's so fucking funny but i remember when it came on the second john ham is out in blackface doing dialect i'm like oh people are gonna be so fucking pissed and take this out of context and not realize no the joke is this was offensive then and it's always been offensive and degrading yeah i think you know and they do that with other shows. They have a honeymooner sketch where it's like, one of these days, Alex, blam, I'm going to blow your face off with a shotgun. <laughs> one of these days, Alice, I'm going to chop you up with a chainsaw and no one will find the body. And I, is this the same for when they do 30 Rock? Their live episodes are incre- incredible feats. It, you yes. think you know what this this, was- it's going to be because SNL, but like the way they, they move the story around in a half an hour, it's, there's commercial breaks, obviously, and I believe they shoot one for the East and one for the West Coast. So yep. there might be two versions of this available with minor variants. Because yeah. the, the streaming I, there services, there wasn't any like huge variation that I could find. Well, they don't. Yeah, they, they. It's only like it's typically like one or two lines. But the streaming services actually don't have them. It was like only on the DVD you could watch both both versions. Great. Uh, and there's a great moment when one of the pages tears up a picture of Sinead O'Connor, which we will be talking about later this year. Yay. Uh, but it's it's hilarious. It's filmed on the SNL stage. Every 30 Rock live show is great. And I really I I don't think this should be banned. It's not saying blackface is good. It's saying blackface is bad. And I think yeah. that's an right. okay message to have. But it's for bad. people... No. Oh, I just realized one of the, the big differences is there's a celebrity cameo and it's different for West Coast and East Coast. On the West Coast, we got Kim Kardashian. The East Coast got Paul McCartney. <laughs> They're the same. Oh. They're the same. Wow. Two sides yeah. of the same coin. Talent, yeah. e- equally, equally talented. talented people. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I hope it comes back. I think um, the great blackface banning of a few years ago was more in response to things white people weren't paying attention to and it's kind of compensatory. This, these, these episodes, this in the community episode, like, come on. That's like, this isn't yeah, see, really... See them in context. Yeah, this is... But uh, ask John... You know what? Let's ask John Hamm how he, fe- how he feels about it. Good. <laughs> <laughs> and then also on NBC, that very night, community, uh, basic lupine urology... This is their Law and Order parody. This is their Law and Order parody, and there there comes a Perfect. point when they make a quasi arrest of someone, and you have to play the clip of them explaining what they're doing. <laughs> well, well, well. Look at this, Abed. He weaves baskets and lies. What's this about? It's about the killing of our biology yam. Will you please come with us? But I'm in the middle of making a handle. You want it the hard way? Tell him what Shirley said. Todd Jacobson, you have the right to do whatever you want. Nothing you say or do can be used against you by anyone, but we'd really like it if you came with us. Please and thank you. (laughs) Uh. This, uh, someone who's watched way too much Law & Order, I tell you how fucking note perfect they got everything. I love that they even brought in an actress who's played the medical examiner to examine their squished yam and figure out what happened. (laughs) That's the dead body is a yam that was supposed to sprout in biology class class. and it didn't. And then, then, um, yeah, on uh, this day on HBO, Veep premieres. Veep. Hell yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I recently binned this show and I, I, I heard an interview with uh, the showrunner and he was just like, um, we're doing a show about a, 
wacky, terrible president. And then something happened in 2016 where like, is this still funny? And and it seemed like the decision was to make Selena, uh, oh, I don't want to say Kyle, what's her last name? Selena Myers? Selena Myers, to make her, ter- her character gets more wonderfully terrible with every season. She's such an irritating person. So selfish. So I never watched this series. Uh, When it came out in uh, 2012, my mental image just went, oh, they're making a series about Sarah Palin. Mm -hmm. I had no basis in that. I just Uh assumed that it was going to be a Sarah Palin character, which it's really not. It's a completely different thing. Totally unique Uh, character. I started watching it for this show, and me and my wife got hooked. Uh, we're already on episode eight, and we're loving every one of them. It's hilarious. Julia Louise Dreyfus does such an amazing acting job. She has a record for the show. She won yeah. six consecutive Emmys. Mm-hmm. No, six Emmy, Emmys. Six consecutive ones. It was almost That's annoying. never happened. On a seven-season show. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah the the show's great and it was a for me and this is a terrible way to say it a good recommend very talky so mm. doing laundry doing the dishes it totally works you can tell and and oh the best thing about it the best thing about it is the cast is intentionally hey it's that guy character actors like mm. almost entirely and all the guest stars are too they're all these guys who have like the the, the captain's assistants who have like six lines in every diehard film Diedrich Bader, Gary Cole, uh, whoever the fucking, the management guys, I can't remember his name now. This, But again, the show is fucking great. And, and Jonah, I don't know why I fell in love with the character Jonah. He might be the worst person on the face of the earth. <laughs> it, Jonah is great. He's amazingly bad. Yeah. I, He's so bad, it's awesome to watch. And it's like watching a train wreck. You just want to see Jonah wreck things more. Yeah. And he's, he gets yeah. so much worse as everything goes on, trying to keep him in the picture. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, and in the middle of all that, little Anna Klumsky's back. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot my, my girl. My girl that we just talked about a little while back. She's all grown up. Yeah. And yeah, I, I've only seen bits and pieces of the thick of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Armando Iannucci's previous politics show. I'm not sure which one's meaner. Because they're both fucking just they're they're about venal, selfish, soulless jerks. And yeah, yet and, it's and, fucking and, hilarious, both of them. In language I'm not sure you could even use on television ten years later. Dan Backadol's yeah. <laughs> guest character in particular is so deliciously foul mouthed and offensive. Uh and it's it's all it's all about these people in political positions in there is never anything political presented. I think that's, I was more worried, like it was going to be a Sorkin-y type type show. No, everyone here is self-absorbed and doesn't care about anything, any platform they're promoting. (laughs) I believe they never say which party it is. I think she Which can sometimes be cheesy and make me roll my eyes. But in this case, it really works because it absolutely does not matter. That is not the point. I, I, I haven't watched the last couple of seasons, but it's like, did they ever like get anything done? <laughs> uh, <laughs> almost never. And I, th- I think they did say they were Democrat at some point. Did they? I, 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 okay. But it, it doesn't happen for like, I think several years, several seasons uh, before they <laughs> it say it all. Matter. It's not about that. Mm. It's about politics. It's about power, baby. Um, yeah. Veep is a pretty great show. Veep. 
Oh God, it's so damn good. Shout out to Jonah. I was just, I remember I, after I watched it, I'm like, I want to see some Jonah clips on YouTube. And it was just like, oh, am I the only fan of Jonah? Like I got to, God damn, I got to put some of these up on YouTube. There's a great Find one. Timothy Simons and ask him. There's a, hey. there's one great one right after his dick operation. Moving on to video games of 2012. We got Lone Survivor on Winders. Yeah, this is a side-scroller survival game, which is not something that I usually associate with that uh, genre. The design is gross, not in the juvenile way, but in the everything is off and moist way. Uh, This is very much inspired by David Lynch and Resident Evil, and it wears those inspirations on its sleeve. And we got the latest and last prototype game, Prototype 2, on uh, PS360. I know, hopefully we can do a 302010 Games episode for patreon.com slash lasertime. Michael and I partied a lot on the dime of Prototype. That's what I remember. <laughs> UEFA Euro 2012. Is this FIFA 12? Yeah, for some reason they gave it a stupid title. It's FIFA 12. It's... It should have been called FIFA 12. The only um, one I know is says FIFA. Is that yeah. How you... yeah, it's FIFA. Yeah, FIFA? FIFA. Oh. Yeah, it's FIFA. <laughs> okay, yeah. I've been saying oh. it wrong 20 years. Okay. <laughs> they, they, do, they do the World Cup every four years, and in yeah, between it's... is the, the Euro Cup yeah. is the next best thing, so... Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, that's uh, all. Yeah. Okay. Uh, everyone who heard me say it wrong over the last 20 years, including those in Korea, thank you for <laughs> never correcting me. Really appreciate that. Uh, the unique thing about this game is that you can create your own nation, oh. which is something Yay. new to sports games, because obviously in this cup, you're playing a nation, and they went, okay, make your own. Okay. All Does it right. have to be on this planet? Because I'm going to have a bunch of fucking giant Space Jam aliens kick the shit out of your goddamn Korean team. Yeah. At last, bad Assistan will be <laughs> up. We'll destroy you, friends. I am the king of WrestleMania. And, you... <laughs> and then uh, there's things you already get really happy and then really sad at the same time. Marvel versus Capcom 2, New Age <gasps> of Heroes. <gasps> On iOS. Ugh. Uh, what do you mean the most the most frame sensitive input intri- intricacy in any game ever? I could have to tap on six buttons to tap on my phone. How the fuck would you play this? And, okay, okay. We agree it's a completely stupid idea in 2022. In 2012, was there a, a single reason to think it could possibly work? I can't tell you. And I'm about to get a job at this company in like two months, <laughs> 10 years ago. I, I don't know. I didn't even know it existed. And, and I worked there. And then uh, this is probably the Risen 2, Dark Waters. And then there's uh, The Walking Dead Episode 1, A New Day. Ooh, yeah. A game I have played. Whoa. Whoa. Yes. This never happens. But this, this became a game. They did too much too soon. And yeah. didn't innovate. Saturated the market. And then didn't innovate in almost any way, which is not something people who make games should do. But that this is the beginning of this winning Telltale formula that if I'm like too drunk, I'm not playing a game except for these. They were like watching. I could get high and play. I can't get high and play video games. I get high and play this. I could and like my girlfriend could play it. We could play it a little differently yep. and talk about it. My wife and I played this together. There are so few games you can play play together when only one person has the controller because yes. it doesn't matter who has the controller in this game yep. at all you're just telling the other person what decision you should make where you think you should go this 
is a game about emotional attachment and creating emotional attachments in video games is very hard, but they nailed it. They just locked that down and they wrote it into the ground and it didn't have to be that way because this is a winning formula if there would have been less of it there'd be more of it and it feels like there's more of this because this is episode one did you play the whole game or just the first episode played i think the whole game or i might have missed the last episode i mean because it was it turns out like everybody thought this is the new way we should release games in five chunks get five mm-hmm. times the hype and like i mean people play stuff and put it down like there's no guarantee they'll come back for more episodes yep. you can't really yeah, sell yep. not everything can be sold this way and i think hype and devotion drops off when you can't play the whole thing at once so yeah die i don't know if you got like a the game of the year full version with all five episodes but they would come out every two to three months it was a odd release cycle oh wait no okay i played all of this and I think I played most of season two. I okay. think season two is the one where I, I dropped off and I haven't seen uh, oh, that, any of the other ones, Michonne or New Frontier. That was so Lion funny because, yeah, the lead character in the first season, I think they call it the first season, is mm-hmm. the same guy who was the voice of all Hulu ads. The following <laughs> is brought to you by Clementine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Lee, Lee, the character Lee. We can still get this, I'm sure, um, even though the company is no longer with us. And we're going to tell you who died, and who, we're going to have a quiz about who was born during this period. But before that, i got to tell you to go to patreon.com slash laser time. We've got some new shows coming for you. Thank you very much for your support. Listen to Video Game Apocalypse every single Friday. I think we want to do something Batman this week, because the Batman came to streaming where i saw it last i saw it was the first batman movie i didn't see in theaters since 1989 i know what about batman the movie 1969 i wasn't alive still and i have seen it in a theater oh okay that counts (laughs) and i love that movie it's great better than the batfleck uh, but yeah, Video Game Apocalypse every Friday. Die, where people find you at? They can find me on the Twitter at ListenAnerd, L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D, or follow the show at 302010podcast, 302010podcast on the Twitter. Next week, uh, we have, well, news literally exploding in 1992. And more importantly for the kinds of people who listen to the show, we have two landmarks in film history, frankly, mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. Marvel takes over shit we're hitting i'm just gonna say i don't even gotta bother spider-man turns 20 and adventures turns 10 in the same week it's the same fucking week. ridiculous oh yeah uh, i hope we can assemble and really get that together um, <laughs> but listeners can find me on the twitter at j-r-r-a-l-l-s they can also listen to the very last probable episode of my podcast talking terrific television is going on on indefinite hiatus but in our last episode we are covering solely the last five minutes of the sopranos we talk (laughs) about nothing but those five minutes for about an hour and a half go deep in depth and uh get an exclusive interview with david chase where he reveals what exactly happened oh hell yeah i could be lying but (laughs) maybe that happens uh, you're not going to uh, do a do a the second season of uh, the Many Saints of Newark. Do- uh, we already covered it when oh. it came out. Uh, so great movie, yeah. by the way. We, yeah, yeah. yeah. And no, uh, in June 2002, there is the show debuting that people say is the second best HBO show to The Sopranos. I can't even thought about getting into that one. Mainly, it's a time. Oh constraint on everyone involved 
So yeah, yeah. and this show is even more complicated. Yeah, yeah. And if people have Baltimore accents, and those are horrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that is an awesome show, which we will be covering right here on Thirty Twenty Ten. I do hope to be back next week. I am undergoing throat surgery tomorrow, so there is a chance I may not be back next episode. So if I'm not back, uh, I want to encourage our listeners to to two things: love each other. Be nice to each other. And secondly, avenge my death. (laughs) (laughs) Dark episode. It'd be good to have something to avenge. That's thank you. Yeah, exactly. That was a dark and light send off. Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. But with that out of the way, who died, Diana? Oh, golly. All right. Well, in 1992 is when we lost uh, Satyajit Ray. Or Satyajit Rai, I'm never sure which one it is. 70, uh, one of India's great filmmakers who made the World of Apu trilogy, which no Simpsons jokes. There are fucking amazing movies. Come on, let me do the accent. No. (laughs) No. No. And uh, also we lost Francis Bacon, the painter is 82. 2002, we lost, well, besides Lisa Lefty-Lopez, who's only 30, we lost the inventor of Barbie, Ruth Handler, 85. Yeah. Which now I know that's what my parents did after I went to bed. (laughs) <laughs> okay and diana with that out of the way we got to see who was born Bubba the birthdays. oh birthday is a doodly do a ding dong doodly doodly ding dong do turning 80 80 someone who is still with us knock on wood who is a pretty important cultural figure that i think we should give a moment born april 24th 1942 in brooklyn her dad died when she was one and her mom struggled to make ends meet. She sang in the school choir with classmate Neil Diamond. What? <laughs> I did not know. Graduated at 16 and was repeatedly, constantly told she's too ugly to be a star. Ah. Uh, uh, Lucille Ball. No, no, she's no. Madonna. No, she's not 80. 80. <laughs> <laughs> she started singing in nightclubs, especially gay clubs, where she was a big hit. She recorded her first album at 21. No, it is not Adele. Oh. <laughs> and um, now she holds the records for most number one albums of all time and has an EGOT, including 10 Grammys, nine Golden Globes, five Emmys, two Oscars, one for acting. Barbara Streisand. For... There you Oprah go. Oh. <laughs> That's actually, I mean, except for the Grammys part, that would have been a good guess. But yes, one, one for acting, one for songwriting for Evergreen. It is Barbara Streisand. Hell she yeah. Should, there should be a third Oscar nomination in there for directing Prince of Tides, but people suck. <laughs> what movies have we talked about of hers? It hasn't been that many, right? <laughs> Not that many. Nuts, Little Fockers, Mirror Has Two Faces, and Prince of Tides. Okay. That's it. Right. <laughs> oh, Prince of Tides. Two of those, I guess I recommend. Barbara Streisand, kind of a big deal, and I yeah. don't think the kids appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. The kids in uh, Licorice Pizza definitely didn't appreciate that. Yeah, uh, Stry Sand. <laughs> That's Sand. the last time I heard a reference in a movie set in the 70s. Oh my God. That scene was fucking amazing. Yes. Kind of the only well, reason actually, I think the everything movie of Bradley Cooper in that movie was, it's like a whole different movie started. And I like that movie even better. Yeah. Too bad it, that was about it. <laughs> it's Roadrunner and Coyote with this crazy person. <laughs> anyway, yeah, Barbara Streisand, filmmaker, actress, songwriter, singer. Anyway, thank you for James, so much for listening to us. Game sake of, of, of an effect. I've always wanted to be one of those. <laughs> the, thanks. An effect or a law. That, I want one of those. Thanks for listening to the Laser Time shows. We do appreciate it. Patreon.com slash Laser Time. Let's close out with, damn! <laughs> I never knew what this song was called. I didn't know I could just Google the only line I knew. Sophie B. Hawkins, damn, I wish I was your lover. 
It's the yeah. lo- longest curse word in song in popular song history. Damn. Close out with that, but yeah, it, let's uh, give Jr. some support. Social media where we can. Good luck on your surgery, buddy, and we'll hopefully Thanks, see you next week. Yeah.